0: Okay, let's go. So that concert, that was our last concert and I remember, uh, yeah, th- this, this came from the concert that you did at Cafe Otto, which you done one of the most impressive gestures in the history of improvisation oh. and that was uh, <laughs> with, a, a, you know, the beginning of your concert, you know, uh, coming from your experience as a father. You enter the venue and with a little bell started to say to the audience (laughs) As if we were you know babies and and I guess in in a certain way we all are babies, aren't we? But it's something that I never have experienced in a concert of improvisation, which is this uh, father figure <laughs> in regards to the audience, and the audience, I guess they didn't know what to make out of it. But it was genius.
1: Wow, I think It you. was like
0: bringing your. I own, think I felt like you know, I had uh, uh, no right
1: to be there, didn't I? These gigs that were coming too late. Yeah. Like dream come true gigs, but too late. Like supporting the ex and things like that. I remember the song though, the thing I was normally putting my daughter to sleep and uh, getting stuck into uh, fascists and things like that. And the thing I. It comes back to me now, that song. It it went. Bipsy bobsy boo.
2: Bipsy bobsy boo boo boo. Bipsy bobsy boo.
3: I remember that.
0: Yeah. It's amazing because I, I actually um, I discovered the X thanks to you. I used uh, maybe the first time I came to your place or you know, but this uh, uh, you know because they come from the punk tradition. Yeah. And this hipsty pubsty boo is is not punk, but the attitude of you can do that is very <laughs> punk, but it comes from a very very tender. Mm. kind of way that we often don't get in, in, in punk. But yeah, like, uh, how, how do you discover the, the the X? And were they a big influence for you?
1: Yeah, um, yeah it's an interesting one, just, just because I was in a funny place then of being um, a new dad and then uh, also heavily involved in uh, frontline anti-fascism. So it was sort of a funny time. Yeah, um, you look very sweet and cute, you two. I must say you both look thank, the... <laughs> <Both me smiling laughs> thank
2: you, that's adorable.
1: Thank you, thank you You know, we had a couple of days in the flat all alone. It's like of a... I don't know, enough in a, a place. Place. Um, Yeah, <clears throat> so it's good to see you. Um, yeah, the ex I've... The same, To um, Nick Hobbs, probably. Uh, who did a vocal on an early album by them? But then Jerry Reed in, in Glasgow as well, who I've known since the 80s. Uh, they're, oh, I love the X, a one, wonderful band. Um, but I remember being in the um, backstage with them and being like, this is like a dream come true gig for me, but it's like five years too late. <laughs> but the gig kind of worked, didn't it? <clears throat> kind of. It was our last gig. I yeah, think. yeah. The
2: gig, the, the gig was.
0: <laughs> we had an amazing time. Really. Yeah, yeah, it was really uh, fun.
1: Uh, well, you you dressed up in a adult nappy and and wriggled out from under the stage, and I did the uh, the bobsy boo uh, magical kind of mesmerising. <laughs> the gig. Yeah,
4: yeah.
1: But we forgot to throw the nappies at the audience, Sorry. didn't we? Sadly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 because I know. And then, obviously, another very important part of the mm. concert was uh, your honest uh, confession. <clears> throat>
4: uh, throat> yeah.
0: Regarding, like, I would rather prefer to, you know, be in the streets beating at uh, fascists than being here.
1: Well, it was a, an essay, and a friend of mine had written. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, again. that you read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My friend Baha wrote it and it was, yeah. And then there was all sorts of other stuff going on, wasn't there? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, Tom,
1: totally. Was it both? Yeah, I,
0: I guess, for, yeah. So for many years you you were involved in antifascism.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm retired now. Everything I'm going to oh. say about <laughs> all lies and all fake and false and bullshit and fantasy. So, uh, you know, just for a quick disclaimer okay yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, yeah yeah just getting um getting my head around uh, what I've been through and uh, see if, yeah like um, trying to kind of recover you know the PTSD is pretty full-on and <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> finding a little way back into uh, other stuff I mean it's I think I sort of peaked, sort of, like, and I think the levels of adrenaline are absolutely ferocious. (laughs) To sort of come back to, uh, I mean, I'm I'm exercising a bit, I've got a bike again, and I'm managing to do some drawing, and music's kind of back in my mind a bit, but I was, uh, like, super up my own ass, like, hating culture. Like, um, and just, like, why aren't you like like me, and you're fiddling while Rome burns. If you're making records and paintings, you should be out fucking dismantling organized racism and fascism. Uh, but then having my kid, like, but- um, fucking changed my brain a bit, kind of rebooted my brain. Um, hmm. Mm, yeah, so that's, that's uh, having my. Daughter has kind of has been a way back to uh, to other things, um, yeah. And then, like they're authentic, they feel like well, kind of like a bit, about twenty percent authentic. <laughs> they're starting to mean something to me. But but I, did, I was really lost. How how was it, was it the process? Very hard to know what to do with yourself. But, after. I had I had to I had to stop, you know, because I was looking at facing. Uh, Coma, or a life sentence, <laughs> or a padded cell, or all three, mm. and you know, being homeless as yeah, well. But I how do you not
0: go on? Oh yeah, yeah yeah no. Um, homeless. I, yeah, I was going to ask because you how did you, how did the whole process of getting into anti-fascism and antifa yeah. like because you lived through I mean the last decade in the UK has been a turning point in going towards the right and then with brexit so you were you yeah. like very perceiving these changes and you know like thinking okay you know i have to do something about this how, how was the whole process of mm. getting more and more involved in yeah
1: it's a true yeah i mean the uh there's been saying for a few years now haven't they that the far right terrorism is way above and beyond uh, Daesh and in, in, uh, jihadists in the UK aren't they? So I mean it's a f- very fucking serious problem but we did some uh, some some, ma- ma- some major scores <laughs> yeah uh, right I'm a little bit i just taking my socks off because my feet are uh, sort of overheating I think it's nerves oh <laughs> uh, right um mm, so what was going on yeah well i mean i sort of naturally kind of burnt out my music and uh, art really and uh i'd sort of achieved like everything i wanted to, to really i mean we had that fantastic tour of north america and i made the uh, triple <laughs> triple cd you know uh, 196 minutes long 85 tracks long with a hundred page book that was many years of work <clears throat> Slake's project with Daniel Baban, you know, we'd made some awesome records with Death Leg Hemorrhage, High End Contra, um, and of course the wonderful uh, double album, which you and Tucker kindly uh, released. Um, why the fuck didn't I stick with you guys? I went on to work with that prick, uh, Kill bulagus you know, Jesus, what was I thinking, you know, and like that fucking worked out you know god i'm still seething um yeah so uh well i'm not sure if i'm going to mention the organisations we focused on but uh, i'm very very proud of the work i did in uh, with anti fascism yeah like oh fuck it i'm going to say we 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 managed to uh to stop the white man march in liverpool and um hope not hate said that was the <clears throat> the greatest anti-fascist victory in 30 years. <laughs> I put a lot of work into that. Um, yeah. It was a great day. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, hmm. And, tumbleweed
0: yeah how, how would you describe the atmosphere like you know how was it the atmosphere in London and you know oh
1: yeah yes yeah, sure. I'm a bit drifting or, around or but um oh, don't worry well they never seem to do that. They, they um they organise and then they infight so much so they fall apart uh I think they're worse than the left the, the far right for the anti um meltdowns and uh they luckily don't seem. The organisations we seem to pull them apart fairly quickly. Not that I'm involved at all, but patriotic alternative are having a very hard time at the moment. So uh, that was the latest. Uh, That's my key worker calling. I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> um, they uh, aren't having a good, very good time. I mean, they just get infiltrated and rip, ripped to pieces. You know, this is. Yeah, it's the um, mostly people sitting at home working really throughout the night on infiltration, and there's a you know a couple of bits of pavement politics, but that's not really the main thing that goes on. Mm. Mm. Have I answered your question? (laughs) Sorry.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's like I'm thinking of EDL, um, environment uh, like
4: and, uh, new, new vibe, sort of
0: like how you know, like when you started, what were the far right, you know, like the the things that were happening in the far right?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, um, hmm, my mind's gone blank a bit, yeah, um, no. That... I think National Action were the main worry because they were sort of more, much more Nazi than uh, most of the other groups. Yeah, that was the main one. So I'm uh, glad I uh, had a uh, yeah. bit of work on there. Uh, you know? I mean, there's one of the, one guy. Yeah. He's uh, I won't say the, the pricks name, no, but he's like. I mean, you you can't really fucking make these people up. Uh, he's like a pretty young convicted paedophile, oh. satanist, neo-Nazi, <laughs> threatened to like murder my friend's kids in front of her and drink their blood on the Yorkshire Moors, you know. And uh, he wasn't joking. They're just like utter filth. So um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I <laughs> made the. Help make the world a better place, you know, by putting these fuckers on their asses and uh, mm. worse, <laughs> making it life uncomfortable for them, you know. Yeah. So, like, if their home address is exposed and their workplace and so on and so forth, that some of them stop and be like, "Is it really worth it, being a fucking neo-Nazi and wanting more Holocausts and etc." And some of them will kind of retire but you know you get the, plenty of them carry on with it they're just fucking well sick in the head man you know
0: <laughs> yeah you just had this great uh, interview about your graffiti days uh, really really <laughs> great and recommended we will put the
1: link um, yeah I so maybe we uh, to this one because he chopped all the uh, politics yeah. out of it and all the any queer stuff? And I mean, he's a really awesome, lovely guy. But we had the uh, connection problems as well, so lots of it got lost. But uh, yeah, the, all the anything I said about the police or <laughs> um, mm. the people that killed Stephen Lawrence and stuff like that is chop, chop, chop. But fair enough. I mean, uh, I don't want to paint the target on my own back, let alone anyone else's. So fuck it. Why don't I just do that now? <laughs> Upside down target. Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm interrupting remember. you. I think he's caffeine. You look such a, such cutie pies.
2: <laughs> you're making me laugh. I don't know. Nah. <laughs> <right. laughs>
0: yeah. So you had these graffiti days, very very intense days in London, and then you went to study art in Seville with Emma Heditz and Brown Sierra uh and Ivan Seal, you know just yeah, uh, yeah.
1: some of the people that we know and then um I, I sometimes I made you like, when you I uh wanted to join the army but I ended up in art school uh which is probably a good thing <laughs> <laughs> but then <laughs> I ended up joining the fucking uh, vigilante street army you know so it kind of I got you can have your cake and eat it eh <laughs> Absolutely. And so, yeah, so and you respect, were in London uh, and I met you... In art school.
0: Sorry? And and you were, you, you were into music both at the same time? Like
1: music and... Uh, or that The music came a bit after? Well, they were wonderful years. I just think, like, things were moving so fast at that time. I mean, um, I had to get out of... Uh, Graffiti and uh, BMXing, and uh, I had a subculture thing called Ceramic Rabbit, and we used to put on like, I could say like illegal raves for BMXers and skateboards. Um, but you know what? There weren't any women around, and I'm not some fucking Casanova or shit like that. But I, I, I need female company, you know. I need female friends, you know. So it was great to go to art school I went to one year at St Martin's and they uh, had an awesome time I mean there were some, uh, some 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 toffs there and stuff but they're, they're, they're quite funny really but uh, yeah I was keeping on a little bit with drumming uh, copying break, break beats my brother was a very good uh, hip-hop DJ and he had a lot of fantastic um, break beats recently we tracked down the uh, the got rock in my pocket. Found out you got to speed it up to make it uh, to make it work. Um, so we're still tracking down breaks. You know, I love love finding breaks. Found some <laughs> awesome stuff on some old Tim Buckley records recently. Um, yeah, that, that, so it'd be like riding my BMX and doing my uh, clothing and shabba Culture label, making mad stickers and shit, and uh, trying to get like dada into skateboard into Thrasher magazine and read and destroy and invert magazine and stuff um and then um <clears throat> so that would be doing that in like the holidays and then cracking on with uh being in the studio in uh, in sheffield and and because uh, i could just couldn't do it all because uh yeah i wasn't prepared to take my drum kit up to sheffield and uh so I had to have like the healthy, healthy boundaries on you know not overloading myself because I was quite spoiled and I couldn't even cook and shit. So when I left home and lived in a house share in Sheffield, I had to learn to look after myself a bit better. And I'd just gone vegan as well. And 30 years now, I'm vegan. Quite proud to say. Um, wow. Well. And then it was like a fucking one-hour walk to and fro the uh, the university. Um, I lived in uh, the student Olympics village, <laughs> which is next to a boss store. So you, people could reach in the letterbox and uh, unlock the door, you know, it was absolutely mad. And there was an idiot drug dealer in my in my house, so the door was going and, like all throughout the night. But um, I had a really, really good time and met some fantastic people who I'm still in, in contact with, including Emma. Yeah, I'm not in contact with Emma anymore, but... She was an awesome person. Yeah, some some very, very cool people on my art degree, yeah. It's great. I'm still really proud of the work I made. I'm gonna get the the slides digitized, actually. And were you a straight edge at
0: at that time? That's when you started to be a straight edge, or?
1: Yeah, that was, I got five years clean, because I was getting myself into a lot of trouble with uh, drinking, I mean, I. Oh yeah, I interviewed Carcass as well at the Marquee and uh, I was very stupid. I mean, I picked them up at some uh, record shop in uh, Carnaby Street. I think I sort of didn't ask their manager or whatever if I could interview them. But I sort of stalked them and found out where they were. I said, do you want to do an interview? And they were, but I was quite, said quite a weird thing to them. I think I thought they were, three of them were vegan or something. And I was, so we're walking along, getting along down Carnaby Street and I'm like, uh, by the way I only want to talk to the vegans <laughs> what the fuck you know and uh, they're like oh and they're like three of them carried a walking and only Bill Steer stayed and I thought, like, oh what's you know um, and then he um, we talked loads about uh, <clears throat> about why he was vegan and stuff and it's, the recording's really good because we're sitting in the marquee and you've got like Ken warming up in the background and these absolutely mind blank sick blast beats like every few minutes you know it's just a, such a Ooh. great yeah, I really loved Ken from. I uh, still think he's awesome from Carcass. Sadly sadly, had a, I think he had a brain hemorrhage. Poor guy. But he comes on stage when they when they tour. It's just made me cry when I saw him coming on stage. It was fantastic. Um, Ken was quite uh, like a kindred spirit because he had a. He wore a denim suit and he had a big quiff like uh, like me, you know. And so you can be uh, you can look like that and still be in a grindcore band like carcass and i thought yeah i like that because i used to have like this ginormous quiff which would take me an hour to do in the morning have very thin my friend used to call it baby hair thin thin hair so i'd like lie upside down at the foot of my brother's bed with a big tube of studio line and l golden hairspray spray and a hair dryer and just <laughs> brushing it trying to get it as high as possible um yeah i mean back then it was harder to have this sort of mixed up Lifestyle. it's thing is, just you wouldn't, it's, you wouldn't think twice about it now. But you, back then, I'd be, my, I'd be having my loaf of bread quiff and wearing a nuclear assault t-shirt and a mini skirt or something. And then people are like, "Fucking joking!" Mu-, you know. And I was like, "No, I'm, what? What's the problem?" <laughs> you know. It just it, people couldn't seem to get their head around. You can do like. Skateboarding and BMXing, and you can do graffiti and be in love with Marcel Duchamp's large class. You know, it was harder, and now it just seems laughable. Who gives a fuck? You know?
2: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm just like, uh, I, I remember, you know, I met you in Eddie Privo's workshop uh, in two thousand, the year two thousand, and obviously. Uh, you were the most radical improviser of the, you know, you were doing certain okay, gestures yeah. that I yeah. think.
2: For well. how long? For how long you were in the workshop before Martin joined?
1: Yeah, I think um, a couple of months or something, Martin, maybe. I don't think you were at the first one, were you? Well, no, I think came well, you came a little I started
0: life. maybe even in 99, no?
1: Yeah, you I was at the very first i don't want to sound like a, a prick yeah, saying that but it's just such an incredibly important day because i was drifting really i mean yeah oh yeah i was like um like you said i was five years clean through the uh my art degree thankfully that's probably why i did well i used to love it i'd be doing 12 hour days in the studio and uh you know because i'm a write-off if i uh drink and i was getting like beaten up at gigs and stuff and something like the penny dropped i'm like you're coming to these gigs and you're not you're sort of blacked out and getting kicked in from moshing too harshly and uh, uh a fella from leech woman sort of gave me a slap and was like learn how to dance properly you know and i'm friends with him now alex but um yeah it's a good thing for me to not uh to not drink and be straight edge you know which i said as i consider as like not getting off your head being vegan trying to do the right thing things like that anyway so bring forward to the um end of the uh yeah, so anyway, when I graduated I was drifting around a bit. I mean, I had uh, this incredible studio in Southwark Bridge which had the uh, Tate modern just outside the window, which I saw as like an Auschwitz kind of um, slaughterhouse kind of place. That's so. and I had like a a thing I drilled through on the window that you that hung this tag that with a, a number that cattle get uh, clipped on their ear so anyway I've got some photos of that good times with uh, Elliot Howard yeah really good friend a great artist um, and uh, yeah so I had a studio for about a year and but it was it was tough man because I was working in some shit old uh, kitchenware shop in Covent Garden and the studio cost a lot of money and uh, it was fucking freezing um, yeah well it was, it was tough I had a couple of exhibitions one called Low Cost Glaustrophobic Sloth Um, I've got the flyer kicking around somewhere but that was uh, a lot of work and it had some really really good people in it Um, yeah maybe I'll send you a photocopy of that later or
2: something but um,
1: then uh, this show called that would be awesome say again would you like me to That
2: that that would be awesome oh great yeah cool yeah yeah I would love to see thank you
1: making good work but um, struggling because I was It's hard to sort of store work, transport it. um, And then wanting to get my drum kit into the studio and uh, Elliot, he wouldn't have it, you know. Um, Fuck, I did some damage to that studio, man. I made this ginormous blank canvas and I glued it to the floor, glued it down onto the floorboards the fuck was I thinking you, I could think I've got some borderline personality disorder or so, so there's something wrong with it I think because I played with lead weights a lot when I was a kid fish deep sea fishing weights it's a sort knack of my brain somewhat anyway I glued this huge blank canvas to the floor let it dry and then with all my might ripped it up off the floor and it like took out like a a layer of the floor and It's a very awesome awesome piece you know and uh <laughs> But then it's kind of storing it and moving it around. Fucking hell, it's just it's not easy. The, I, what you guys might call uh, call it logistics or something, because <laughs> you've got better vocabularies than me. Um, yeah, then um, trying. Yeah, I mean I had some good good time because uh, I got lucky. I got um, through Alfie's glue here. Awesome guy, Alf, Alfie, Alfie Thomas. I think it's. He let me have <clears throat> a space in his. He had Derek Jarman's old studio in. Uh, in one of them, anyway, in a, a street in Soho, Brewer Street, maybe. So I had a, a lockup there in his studio and I could keep my drums there. That really, that was meant I could get my drums out of my mum and dad's place in Kent. Um, and then I was start taking friends there on Sundays and playing. It was just brilliant. There was one time when I had keys to my flat, my parents' place with music stuff in the studio in Soho and the foundry in Old Street. Good times. Then we've had a provost workshop. Uh, yeah, because I was struggling, you know, because I was playing drums at home, working in this awful play. It was called Bodum. his kitchenware shop. Nasty. They're famous for their cafetiers, you know. And we used to, like, put the, rip the sticker and put it on our uniforms. So They said Dumbo, you know, and uh, I managed to sort of fleece them very, very severely. Though it's funny how you, when you're really getting crushed in some awful capitalist hellhole you find little ways to feel human again part of the way I did that was by um rinsing the place (laughs) and I used to go in there at night and take people in there and have little parties and shit stupid but um yeah it was uh, yeah one day anyway the um these, these leaflets came through my door in Hackney for community music and I thought, you know what, oh, fuck it, why not sign up for a couple of courses? Because I was terrified of singing and really, really I could drum quite well, but I mean I didn't have any bands, I was just drumming on my own. And um I I used to even if someone overheard me singing in the shower, I'd be like full of or embarrassed for like two weeks, you know. And um I said, jump in the deep and then I'd sign up for a singing class at community music down at uh, that was near the studio, actually, Southwark Bridge Road, yeah. And um, and there was um, Search and Reflect. Uh, I thought, that looks interesting. So I signed up for that. And then um, it was great. That really paradigm shift or something. It's a big game changer or something. I can't think of the right word. Um, so I'd be doing Search and Reflect all day long on Friday, which is, was this wonderful course written by John Stevens, which... Um, it's about helping um, non-musicians to make music. It's really, really suits my politics as well. And an awesome guy. And all his old gear was in the basement there. You know, John Stevens, old drums and stuff, a lot of it anyway. Um, but then um, there's this <clears throat> this flyer about Eddie Prevo doing uh, some, I thought it was like a lecture that he's gonna do on a Friday night. And I, so me and this fella Clive were like, maybe we come to this lecture by this drummer, Eddie Prevo tonight. And uh, we nipped to the pub briefly, and then um, we came back to the uh, community music studios. And uh, I went in, and like, there's all these people with like instruments. I didn't even know what they were, like fucking bassoons and shit. And I was like, oh my God, I was very nervous because we were like latecomers. And um, Eddie's like standing there, and he was like, what do you play? And I was like, Oh yeah, no, well, drums. But I've just come for the lecture, you know. And he said, No, no, it's, it's you, you you've got you got to play if you wanna, wanna be here. And there's a drum kit right there, and it had a spotlight on it. And I'm like, What the fuck? No way, man. Like, I had a fight or flight reaction, you know. And I was like, oh, No. And I said, Well, I really, wasn't really planning on. The... And he said, Well, yeah. you if you want to join us then you there's a drum kit and uh then clive there's a keyboard for you and we're like oh, fuck. oh my god so then he said um as you're the uh there's a tradition that says the youngest person in the room is is the one that starts first and like like i was the youngest I mean, <laughs> rights about 25 years younger than me you know <laughs> but why didn't they get a uh, you know <clears throat> oh god um and I just had to do, just confront my fear and make a move. And he said, pick two other people and play for five minutes. I like, what? I've never done a gig or anything. Uh, so I think it, I picked Seymour Wright and uh, maybe it was Clive as well. And we did this five minute thing and it actually, it, it worked. It really, something really changed. It, it really worked. And um, then... There's no looking back after that. Were you religiously to the, uh, I'm using that word. Why did I use that word? Yeah, I went like hardcore for years and years. Every Friday was awesome. Search and reflect all day. Eddie, three hours. And then sitting in the pub afterwards. It was just, they were great days. And I never forget going home on the bus through the city. You've got all these scum that are like off their nuts on loser powder and they're like zombies, all this city scum, like one of them, you know, they try and attack you They're fo- and the cops just let them have free reign. So that was a huge contrast to what I'd been going through in the daytime, all these sweetie pies. Yeah. Good, good times, you know, and then uh, it led to making lots of bands like and doing loads and loads of improv gigs and events like we were mixing, you know, like art and music, like, I did one called "In Animal Fat" at the I think it's Two Ninety One Gallery. I think Martin and Michael rogers played, yeah. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it was, they were really good times. Life really improved. Yeah. Sorry, I'm rabbiting on here. Would you like to get a word in, edgeways No, no. Very well no, then. No, I was going to, to you. Where was I? Okay.
4: Because i was no, no, running out of time?
2: No, no, no. I No, not at all. We have time. We have time. I was just curious if before joining the worship, you were familiar uh, with... Uh, you were very familiar, somehow familiar or not familiar at all with AMM and the music that Eddie was doing before. So.
1: Um, I think I had seen... Yeah, I had, yeah, because it all jumbles around in my brain a bit. Uh, I had actually seen Eddie do one gig at the Spitz spit this this really cool venue unthinkable now that a place like that could exist in an area like that great venue uh there's i saw the x there as well actually later on um you see how my brain is able to link things <laughs> yeah but i saw eddie and <laughs> i i i didn't really like it uh i don't i
2: think
1: it was, <laughs> um, actually, yeah yeah because was there Gilbury was there and he was sort of I thought it was vomiting or something. He's like, inside this grand piano, (laughs) I'm womping it with cotton buds and stuff. (laughs) Giant cotton bud, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I went there with Maria Fusco. And, uh, oh, no, her her friend, uh, awesome guy from Belfast. We went there, because I was living with Maria Fusco at the time. So I met some very lovely friends of hers. And I went there... um, and i was kind of this is a band called uh oh fuck, i can't remember that really really important british improv band they were opening um but after no, after the game gig- oh, it Mantis?
0: was not morphogenesis
1: it was yeah
0: was it morphogenesis
1: <laughs> it was like okay. uh yeah hot plants and shit, like <laughs> Yeah, it was okay. It had its moments, you know, and I'd just be drifting off and yeah, it was a I mean it's so different just sort of sitting there, sort of a, uh, um hallucinogenic kind of like experiences, like drifting and meditating on it and very different to being a carcass. I remember yeah, one thing about the those days I could I'd be like going to see Slayer and then just managing to catch the end of a Jungle Night, you know, Groove Rider and stuff. So it was, it was, really exciting times, yeah. But um, after the gig with uh, Eddie, I went up to him. He had his his, his uh, big barrel. He was, I think, he was hugging it or pushing it along in a tr- shopping trolley or something. And I So like, oh, "Hello." Uh, I, I liked bits of that. I liked bits of that, you know. And he was like, "Well, maybe you uh, the good bits." I could only, the only liked them was the bad. I'm sure he was much more articulate than that, but it, it makes sense, you know, what he was getting at. So anyway, then we we're together every Friday night in the workshop. Fantastic for for years, and all those awesome collaborations came out of it. I mean, I do <coughs> slag off, I say this word grimprov, you know, but like loads and loads of the music that happened in that workshop was absolutely fucking incredible. It really Mm -hmm. was. There were people there from all over the world who couldn't even speak. Like different people in in these little groups of three or five or whatever, and couldn't, you know, that from Japan, then one from Honolulu, then one from the Isle of Wight and stuff. And they were communicating through music. It was fantastic. It was just what you have. Well, I'm lost for words. And uh, I think Honolulu was maybe a bit far out, but. uh... Pardon?
0: Hey, Say Honolulu
1: again, sorry. is is a uh, Honolulu. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we had like Nathaniel Catchpole, didn't we? So, who, funnily enough, appeared later on in
4: Honolulu?
1: Though. I think so. Is Nathaniel he, Catchpole um, from Honolulu? Oh yeah. Well, I I think I'm not sure now. Maybe not. Well, um, yeah, uh, but I, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. This is a really important thing to tell you that I was heavily involved with, uh, the animal liberation front. I mean, I'm full on retired from that, so you can keep it in, you know, and I was on bail for a fucking year for allegedly being involved in something heavy that had happened. Uh, that had happened like two hours ago, 20 miles away. And, uh, I got lifted and, uh, it was very, very stressful. There was no support and um uh like you might some people laugh at me when I tell you this, but it's 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 true. Um I had a vision. John Coltrane came to me and said um uh, it's okay to um stop doing like direct action stuff and concentrate on your music now and get your ideas across via music and it will be very helpful for me spiritually and for my for my mental health and for my general well-being um so i made a decision to uh to drop out from direct action stuff thank fuck i did because some of it was a very very difficult decision and some of my comrades went to jail for many years uh so uh I got out I was really lucky it's been a bit of a theme in my life I sort of managed to kind of quit while I'm ahead and just metaphorically speaking get away with murder you know um, yeah I mean it, I was so certain uh, it wasn't easy like you to, to leave some of that stuff behind or put it on the back burner but um then things kind of balanced out later you know but um yeah yeah awesome days making uh meeting so many wonderful people because like i said i was playing my drums in my bedroom and uh then to be working with people from all over the world on all day long on friday it's just wonderful they, london was a very very exciting place then and we were putting on loads of gigs and you know, I started picking on the oligarch shit transfusion night at the foundry, and fucking great, great times. Yeah, really, and then there was really great. Big house there uh, at yeah. Road. There was, you know, you had taku Takuanami, Romuald Vadik, Dimitra, matin Like, there were just there were these house chests full of the most extraordinary uh, people. It's just, just brilliant. London is very different now.
2: Um, May I ask yeah, you yeah, something, <laughs> yeah, do. How, how how did you discover Eddie's workshop? um I oh, yeah, yeah. was going to the LMC imagine,
0: festivals, yeah. and mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to the LMC festivals, and the, the there were leaflets. The LMC were having this mailing list or something that you yeah, can subscribe, yeah. and they have leaflets. Uh, but I think I saw John Tilbury live, and they had this magazine, amazing magazine called Resonance. And mm-hmm. either in the leaflet or in the magazine called Resonance, there was this uh, call to go to this workshop. And it took me a few months yeah. to, to actually go I'm there, to, to go. The first time that I went there, I went with a melodica. And did you go
2: alone?
0: Yeah, yeah, went alone. It was the same day as Romwald arrived. Uh so oh, we were coming it. together. He said musician very, very by by yeah, exactly, exactly. So he came he came from proc rock, like uh with his bass, and he was totally on the zone. And with the melodica, I was petrified. You know, it didn't seem like the right instrument to be, you know, kind of improvising. But um, yeah, I think that was around April or May uh, 99. No, 2000. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, it
4: was, it was before
0: uh, the Twin Towers, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, was, it was 99. Absolutely 99. No, it was not definitely nine, not 98. So it was 99.
1: 99 Red Balloon. And...
0: Yeah, it it was. And then we would go to the pub, as Tim mentioned, and you would just chat. And it became like, yeah, like not religious, but like, you know, extremely serious. You know, here is something happening. Young people, you know, are not so young people, but like totally committed to this idea of improvisation. And
2: did you stay until like until the pub was closed or what? Well, it closed at 11, yeah, so... Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, very, fine. It was,
0: it was a very reasonable kind of... But I remember you, team like, oh, asking me, should I have the second pint or not? You often <laughs> yeah. had it.
1: The booze were starting to creep back into my life, sadly, yeah. Um, one of the best things about playing drums is you, you can't play them if you've even had, like, a sip of uh, Shandy, so uh, that helped me stay sober by doing gigs, you know. I mean, well, yeah, I, it's good you mentioned LMC, and the... the the uh, I'd, I'd go. Th- I mean, this guy Nick Hobbs again, who did a vocal on an early X record, um, very good track actually. He, um, I'd met him in the you know, like 91 or something, and he had this great band called Mecca, and uh, he lived with Tim Hodgkinson from Henry Cow, and uh, that was good going. I worked for Nick a little bit, and uh, a bit of <whistles> um, so. Then, you know, I'd be getting CDs from Tim. I bought one from him when he was lying in the bath. Can you believe it? You know, he's lying in the bath naked and I gave him a fiver. I said, can I take this then? It was the work. Uh, Yeah, they were sort of living on a different kind of level. Very interesting people. (laughs) Um, But uh, Nick one day was like, you must go to this festival because if you care about drumming, then you will want to see... John French and Jackie Leib like, I didn't have a fucking clue who they were. And he's like, you must, must go. Uh, so I went along to that and John French did a workshop as well, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and I remember him talking about the cup of soya beans. He's only had a cup of soya beans when he was, uh, per day, when he was making trout mask replica. Really, really interesting guy. You know. I was uh, also hunting around for Charles Haywood, yeah, because... Uh, Yeah, I was really interested in this heat. You know, I saw this really handsome fellow, probably only about thirty, and I thought, "That's him. That's Charles." You know, of course it wasn't. You know, Um, anyway. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah. uh, Then, then also, um, I saw Bill Laswell, Dave Lombardo, John Zorn, and Fred Frith. That was an important gig for me because that showed that you could. Because I had these fucking dilemmas. They're so laughable now to think. This was a big headfuck for me to think. Oh, oh, can I play fast and loud and things like? You have double pedal and and maybe shout maybe uh, when I'm doing improvised music because like uh, this big trend that was gripping. I mean, we thought we were free for about five minutes, and then we you fucking realised, no, you fucking not. It's not free and proper at all, you know. Um there was this trend called New London silence, you know, that was coming, getting a grip, you know. Yeah. No okay, la la la. Um so it was quite like difficult for a lot of people, including oneself. I'm only using words like oneself because I'm on your show and you're like the intelligentsia and shit, and you know. Um what the you, uh, <laughs> 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 to see uh, Lombardo play with because I loved Slayer since I've been about 10 years old I mean I used to have Rain and Blood on my Walkman on on my paper run, and I was so scared of that album because I was a Christian at the time and I'd reach into my pocket and turn it down when there was a bit on it when he goes learn the sacred words of praise hail Satan Satan and I was so scared of that I'd reach in my pocket and quickly turn it down so that evil couldn't get into my mind you know and i worked with the christian picture framer man and he's like and he's really working on me and uh i said jeff i've got this album called raining blood and it's got like a picture of like prince charles in hell and it's got satan on it on the throne and do you think i should throw it away and he's like uh i think you know the answer to that one tim so what did I do? I fucking kept it, of course, because you can't beat those riffs. And coming. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's far better than any fucking transubstantial masturbation, masturbation, blah, blah, you know. So, um, yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> to, yeah, then moving forward again to the workshop times and stuff, we'd be going to, uh, I mean, Matten was uh, like, that, you he really helped improve because <laughs> it, it was kind of a bit full of um, kind of uh, goldsmiths, like proper people doing PhDs in trombone and stuff, you know, and quite nice people, but very academic, really. Most of the people in there, they were sort of grim prof, or, and or academic or both, you know. So when Martin turned up, it was very good for me because he helped bring out the sort of punk Punky kind of side streak in my mind, and uh, yeah, we started just wreaking havoc a bit, and just wonderful times. Mm. Yeah, I mean, remember Where, uh, the, uh, Martin? Uh, Betsy Trotwood. And people were very offended, and you know, I remember this fella, Kieran Lynn. He was seething. I mean, he was like supposedly like meant to be a really very big thinker about uh, knew everything about experimental music but like people like that were getting like full-on visceral reactions hating us you know and probably they were right to a tiny extent but generally they were we were just wrecking uh we did some good moves breaking a lot of the rules uh which we were told didn't exist, but they fucking did, you know. Anyway, when things got stressful in the workshop, Eddie would say, let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> Do you remember? When there was getting a bit yeah, yeah, stiff, yeah, yeah, arguing and then let's have a cup of tea. Oh, I love Eddie so much. You know, I must go and see him. Actually, we're still friends. I really, really love him. Yeah. Is he I-
2: still doing the workshop?
1: I think he is, do you know that? I think he is. Oh, wow. I mean, I saw him playing uh, about a year or two ago, at Otto, and uh, yeah, it must have been two years, yeah. Such a lovely guy, and Gene, Gene Prevo as well. They, they they was very, very sweet. I mean, Eddie really lived his politics. He was a super good influence on me. They put on these big um, picnics, like uh, parties, and we'd go, like, once a year. It was so generous. Really, very, very sweet guy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, do you think Eddie's anarchist? It certainly feels something like that. It really is very good influence on me because so I come from a very broken home, very brutal background. My dad was a cop, I had a reign of terror over the family. I wasn't used to uh, men who could be very kind and very smart and guide guide you. So it's kind of kind of a bit of a father figure for me really he was a very very good influence on us yeah on me absolutely for sure absolutely
0: absolutely yeah like uh, uh, for me to uh, extreme yeah I guess we are extremely thankful to him and like he really his generosity is unmatched really uh, allow us to yeah develop as
4: Mm. our confidence
0: Mm. to improvise and to discover what this improvisation is, and to question it, and to try things out that otherwise we wouldn't. And this, this, yeah, these three hours of concentration with people that you don't know, but everybody has an openness to try things out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was like a certain level of generosity and uh, commitment and curiosity that I haven't encountered many times in my life. Um, yeah, yeah, well, so- very, very important in our lives
1: yeah yeah the level of dedication eddie has and and had because he was driving from fucking miles away through rush hour traffic to do that workshop every friday um you know totally losing money on it definitely you know and he'd never like I mean, we were really causing havoc sometimes. I mean, you know, I was like battering some of the equipment in there and, you know, I feel pretty bad about it. I think the piano took a... I was like playing cymbals on the the wires and, uh, you know, if someone... I think it was Sebastian Lex was like, if that big wire goes, it's going to, like, blow your head off or something (laughs) because it's really dangerous to to sort of jab fucking... Uh, symbols in there and and, and uh you know we we're just like wreaking havoc and eddie was very very tolerant and um quietly uh yeah we just had so much respect for him so things didn't get too out of hand you know but he wrote me this wonderful email i wish i had still had it and he was saying he said, i don't lose the heat because it's very uh that that kind of heat with your playing it's not not really happening at the moment in these cool times. I think it was like a sort of dissing the uh this big trend that was invaginating our we didn't think it was, but uh you know, there like this this fashion of this new London silence sort of thing. But that had a lot of a lot going for it, but it started to really dominate. I mean you'd be like if you um I remember the being like uh people would be like if you play too loudly you can't hear other people sort of thing and that, that would be like a dogma coming in and i'd be like well if i like hit a symbol i can't actually hear people for a couple of seconds so and they're like oh you can't uh raise your voice because that's macho or you know yeah not necessarily anyway so yeah where were we yeah times.
0: i guess i guess we both yeah, yeah, because this is like the same way that you would go to a Slayer concert and then drum and bass. I remember going first to the improv, to the workshop and then going to see White House at the Red Rose. Oh I mean, it my- was this noise, the noise organized by this uh, Italian woman, uh, quite controversial.
1: You're uh, not even going to say her now. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, that kind of there was a place where you know, one could do noise and do mm. many, many things. And, you know, I guess play with transgression, which I guess yep. these days, yeah, it would be read totally different, but I guess that allow us that, okay, there is different scenes where, mm. you know, uh, other things are allowed mm. and, you know, people are willing to try things out. And I guess we were at this mix, no? Coming from art yeah, intro, yeah, noise and performance um yeah because another import very important element uh, with which I think you brought that it was not there by any means was the performance perform, performative aspect of it, which actually had quite a lot of humor, but it will piss some people off very very much no
1: oh my God yeah I mean like you, the, yeah, perfor- your, things your, really your classic
0: performative gestures
1: Were like my kind of Frankenstein. Uh... So, yeah it, there really wasn't there weren't many other people like living like that you had a who's that a really incredible guitar player that what played with uh derrick bailey when he was about eight years old is he called alex or something you know the the guy with a big loaf of bread, ginger hair and he's like a super child prodigy yeah. guitar player yeah. i mean i can't believe i forgot his yeah. name but he would be you might bump into him at a mertsbo concert and then uh John Butcher solo, you know, so but there wasn't much of that going on apart from from us, really, you know, running from, from White House and next day seeing um, uh, Derek Bailey, you know, uh, and it, you know, it kind of been easy for someone like Eddie because we were getting a bit involved with this sort of extreme like uh, provocation stuff with uh, fans like White House and then, um. Yeah, going to Sound 323, to some super, super uh, micro music kind of stuff. So, uh, but then, you know, bringing in this sort of provocation shit into the workshop and... Yeah. uh,
0: And then there was the classic uh, day, which I was not there, but you can recall, Denis Dubotsev, because I guess another form of transgression that was influencing us was from Barbara Church and Alexander Brenner. And this friend, Dennis Lubatchev, yeah, yeah. who now plays in um, Triple Negative, really, really amazing musician and person. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did this, this action in the workshop that it was the most uh, <laughs> radical thing that probably happened there, no? You were there.
1: Yeah, he. Uh... Because sort of cracks started to appear a bit, it started, like because we kind of we were told this is like free, free improv, and I think I, I was a bit of a sucker. I think I bought into it wholesale a bit, and then you know started like actively sort of dis, di, thinking I was in the I was enlightened, you know, and uh, I think being like sort of against sort of fall to the floor beats and shit, just really strange. Anyway, but there, um. And, and um, De- Dennis uh yeah, we'd go round and we'd be like, right, someone starts playing for like a couple of minutes, then the person next to them will join in and they improvise together for a couple of minutes, and then person one stops, then middle person joins with person to their left, and it would go round in a circle, and then it, it came to Dennis, and he just sat there silently, and it was very very tense, and then someone's like. <coughs> Dennis, like, uh, it's, it's your turn to play, mate. And he's just, like, staring in intense silence, you know, and, like, uh-oh, he's going to blow. Something fucking mad is about to happen. <laughs> and then uh, he stand up and he's, like, you're all fucking wankers. You're all fucking wankers. And he did his mental, like, solo and then just blew his – he just went blue. He just blew that uh, – what's it called out uh, the sax the the the, the thin uh, straight one soprano or something um went mega mega mental and i thought what the fuck he's gonna like smash his saxophone up as so the climax you know and uh, he did and he just put it down quite gently and he's so he's, he's, he's running out of the room and eddie's like, like, you, you oh, pulled his trousers. Down. Yeah, yeah, he pulled his trousers down and played like, you're all fucking wankers, you're all fucking wankers. And um, it was f- very uh, <laughs> funny and like shocking, you know. And I was laughing and I was pretty freaked out. And someone else started like mocking him. I think Michael Rogers tried to do like a bathos undermining. Kind of thing because people were freaked out. And Dennis starts running out of the room, and Eddie, bless him, he's like, Dennis, come back. Obviously, what you think, what we're doing isn't worth it. He's so sweet. And like, but no, Dennis was gone. And we we're like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? And uh, then the funniest thing of all, really, Dennis like crept back in and picked up his saxophone and then went back out, you know. Um, but then, uh, it was all just sort of uh it kind of then it went even a bit wrong because he sort of came back in and sort of gently sat down and we all tried to sort of talk about it i don't know if that was the best move really then like he was a bit shaken up and a bit shy and bashful and stuff and uh <laughs> yeah it was yeah i don't know kind of that was a big one though it was important yeah more things like that yeah, started
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, then there was this one with, um I guess Romuald, but it was uh, the victim of certain moments. Like I remember two, you know, one was with Alexander Brenner and Barbara Suits at the Klinker mm, yeah. Do you remember where? I wasn't there. Was I heard about it. And uh... looking
1: back, I'm like fucking disgusted about what happened there, you know. And I wouldn't tolerate yeah. that now, you know. But yeah, they apparently you were there. I mean, Romuald was living illegally. It was before uh, Poland had joined the EU, you know, and he was having a very, very precarious life, Um, fucking giving out leaflets for Lidl and shit to make a few quid, and uh, you know, very, very vulnerable. And he'd hand make these incredible, bizarre contraptions, and. yeah, I mean, I wasn't there. You, uh, that was, uh, Brenner and Schurz decided it was a good move to jump out of the audience and stamp up and down all over his stuff, you know. And I mean, I'd weigh them in now if I saw that shit happen. But there was this fucking kind of reverence towards these Muppets, you know, and they got away with it. And it, that's fucking bad, you know. I feel really guilty. Then, like, a few days later, I'm sitting in a fucking back garden and and chatting with them about it and uh mm-hmm. no they weren't there i was chatting with you guys about it and ronald's sort of in the background like a bit like probably thinking what the fuck did you let that happen for you know all my stuff is fucking destroyed and because they think it was a fucking the authentic uh art move you know they're just sort of we're the the real fucking deal and the, ninety nine point nine percent of other people out there are deluded you know um gosh I remember
0: Shame. I remember another story the first time that I uh, the first time that um Dennis and I met uh, at, uh Brenner and Suits uh was, was it at the. Mate, it's, out- it's not
1: worth it. Was it that one?
0: Exactly, exactly. Leave it it mate, was, it's art Yeah there was a sorry you said Yeah, so basically, it was, um, they had an exhibition at the Austrian Cultural uh, Forum, and a band was playing on the first day, and Alexander Brenner started to fight one of the members of the band, or the singer, the singer of the band, I think it was. And a friend of the guy who was being beaten up, or, you know, they were fighting said to him, leave it, mate. It's art. It's not worth it. <laughs> because that's what, you know, like they were doing these interventions, you know, like kind of uh, penetrations into other people's work and, you know, like kind of disturbing, you know, but uh, that, that was a, a bit of a classic. And then the other one with Romuald Vadik, which you were there, was at the Red Rose, right?
1: Ah, uh, I'm not sure if I saw that one. Red Rose is a good place. Yeah, yeah, no, There's of lot of course- Happening, yeah. Go on, remind me. No, no,
0: no, but I mean the one with Gaia. I, I mean the one with Gaia.
1: What in Brenner and shorts were they? You that? were
0: very pissed off about it. No, no, that was Romual Vadik who got some uh, shit from Gaia, no?
1: Oh, fuck, yeah. Um, I just remembered as well. We played at the public life. It was public life, was I think it was called public life. It was a converted toilet in uh Spittlefields by this very strange person. I think it's called Sh- Shiraz, maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, and we, Mattin and I played with Dennis and Brenner and Schultz. and no, no, you and Dennis and Brenner and Schultz played. And I thought that was actually really, really good because they did bring a lot of, yeah, that was a very, very incredible combination. Uh, yeah, that one I'll never forget. It was, they like, they were like fighting each other, yanking each other's hair. It was very disturbing, Brenner and Schultz, And Dennis was sort of playing this kind of improv. Sax stuff, and then Martin had this very ferocious noise, and uh, that was I'd, I'd never <laughs> seen anything like it. I think that was probably ne- nothing like that had ever happened before, really. I, well, maybe, but it was just incredible. And they the lyrics, uh, Brenner and Schurz had were very, very good. They was, re- I think, just repeating this fact like a, a horrific fact, and possibly about child abuse. The Vatican endorsed delight, like, or you know, so, and it was they just repeating this and then fighting, and it was just fucking incredible that gig. So they certainly did bring something, yeah. Um, with the I don't know if it was at the Red Rose when I put on uh me and Romwald's band, uh, and I, and I worked with uh Hinuma to put on that gig on uh Church Street, was it near Church Street? And it ended up, I wanted to run out. No, I ain't better not say that. But uh, no, I'm not going to go into that because that was just fucking horrific. Some of the people in the sort of noise music scene really are scum, you know. They really are. I mean, there are some far-right MAGA hemorrhoids in there. You know, you've got to be careful. I mean, I've, I've got nothing to do with most of them anymore. Not going to name names, you know. But he, I'd cut out some... Uh, some people really, yeah. I think it's kind of me re-engaging with politics in a way, and then I sort of thought, "What the fuck? Some of these people, man, Jesus, you know, bad news. They think it's like transgressive, yeah. and, shit, and they're actually uh, fuck, fuck them, you know." Yeah, that, that because it
0: was a very. I mean, such an interesting mix of people because there were the people connected to Mute and uh, Matthew Hyland yeah, yeah. and uh, David Panos, Ben Seymour, and uh, Dimitra Kotosa. There were—it was a suddenly, you know—it was like okay, there was this mix uh, between people coming from different scenes, art, just Berry as music.
1: well, Sorry, who? Anthony Isles. Well. There was yeah, you know, Anthony Isles and yeah, Barry, Howard Slater, really amazing people. We call them the Mute Lot, you know exactly. We? Well, exactly. It, was, it was a good point to bring them up. Exactly. Yeah, it was fucking very very cool times. Yeah. Go on.
0: Yeah, they were amazing. You know, like yeah, no, no, no. Anthony and Howard did because they, they came to the things that we were doing, but they had uh, this political. In fact, the first time that I met Anthony Els, or they no, I only saw him, but it was at the Austrian Cultural Forum when Barbara Brenner, Barbara Schurz and uh, Alexander Brenner did this. So, so yeah, it was uh, these coincidences. Uh, I guess yeah, I mm-hmm. guess it was London at that time. But yeah, I guess that they really, uh, these people really brought an intellectual and political kind of awareness that was very enriching. Um, well said, yeah, they Yeah, were, so how, they- how do you, no, no, like I was trying, uh, I was just going to ask, like, yeah, you said that you started to get a bit more politicized and, uh, you know, uh, starting to engage more.
1: Yeah. In, the, the, uh, it's really, really important that you've mentioned the, the mute thing. Uh, they were very, very nice people and like super, super brainy and uh, I couldn't really understand half of it, you know, uh, well, not, but um, something was coming through. The politics were kind of coming through in a really good way. Uh, I remember I wrote an article about White House for Mute, which is really stupid and there's yeah, a lot of camp and uh, bathos in there, you know. Um, and i did a few drawings for Mute, didn't i and sort of yeah yeah it gave me some chances you know there's a, a new world opened up really for me um still in contact with the load of them you know and then you had the brilliant films that panos and kirchner made um yeah lots and lots of gigs were happening which, you know Regent studios which in happening with you remember Dave from the 3D's that I can't remember his surname no? they'd be playing together Matthew Hyland and Dave from the 3D's and there were just tons of gigs with uh, Rowan Thomas and uh yeah because you had the kind of New Zealand uh, well I, I don't know would you say that Punks yeah, like, uh, Cameron, life and... yeah Cameron Bain Uh sadly we lost him rest, rest in peace Cameron Um then you yeah, had the Huck Yeah, remember the hung jury as well, a constant pain, the hung jury. So, these, these, we were just getting together and this is amazing stuff was happening. Fuck, wow. Yeah, Um, because there was uh, a squat,
0: there was was a lot of squatting and, um, yeah, we were doing concerts in a lot of these squats and, uh, at the same time, um, yeah, really great people uh, mixing. Yeah, mixing. You know, scenes from many different places. Like Joel Stern was there from Australia. Um, Anthony Guerra.
4: That that was Anthony amazing Guerra.
0: about London. How really, really a lot of interesting people. Getting together, that was very special, very very special.
1: Definitely, yeah, yeah, because you could live uh, quite cheaply then. It was before the Olympics and stuff, and uh, you know, things were there was some good stuff happening in the big. The big venues. I remember seeing Max Roach and Archie Shepp and going to a workshop with them. That was a good one. And then you might be go to like Lime Rotten House, which was just the most fucked up squat I've ever seen, man. In a in Limehouse. it was like rotting, and they found like dead rats in there, which they stuck on the wall with a lump of blue tack and. Um, I had a bad feeling, man, that something... I'd like a bit of a fucking premonition or something. because I think because I was brainwashed by my old man with all these, I When I've stepped into a place, I was like, heroin. I'm just thinking heroin when I step in this fucking shithole place. But, I mean, good on you guys for dredging out this, this fucking building. I mean, the amount of work that went into setting that squat up, you know. Jesus, you know. And then Matthew's putting on gigs in this place. It was... It was hardcore, to say the least. I mean, what incredible work. And people were, were coming to play there, you know, fairly um, kind of affluent, uh, big-time musicians, you know, who were like, you know, you, it was very surreal. You're seeing these, like, uh, A-list, celeb, like, musicians with a capital M playing, improvising with uh, with some asshole like me, you know? <laughs> In, uh, in the in the lime rotten house, it used to flood and everything. Yeah, I. You had Nick Brooks yeah, there. It was, it was rough. Uh,
0: I, I remember I did some recordings with uh, David uh, with uh, sorry with Eddie Prevost that we wanted to do. I wanted to kind of work with um, Benjamin's famous essay on reproduction. Uh, you know, trying to adapt it to improvisation, and it was it will be the first time that Eddie will do. Uh, Overdubs in his own plane. He has never done an overdub into his own plane. So I wanted to kind of challenge that kind of linearity of improvisation and work with the whole means of recording and you know, like using the studio capacities there in the basement, which was so so rough. But that got lost and yeah, it didn't happen. But yeah, that was around two thousand and five. Um, but you I had mean, that poor, concert for you was a bit of a
1: poor Eddie, you know. We, I mean, we—he was so yeah. generous, and we'd we'd be dragging this like lovely. Uh, he wasn't elderly at the time, but you know, he's seventy probably, and to these fucking horrific shitholes holes. <laughs> yeah. And he'd, he'd always, he'd <laughs> even
4: play,
1: he, he, he at a Betsy Trotwood for me. I had to put. a respect spending the night in this tiny place, and when that one finished, he said, "You know what? I'm not." I think he did two or three gigs there, and he'd be like, "I am not playing this place again. Sorry." <laughs> But he hardly ever uh, he'd always give it a go, you know. He really lived his improv ideology thingy. And you, Martin, you were saying I did object to oh, getting get line wrong, didn't I? That was when
0: the whole concept of, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because then we you know, you came up with this whole I guess abject music. I mean you came you know, but this to bring objection into improvisation <laughs> And this was one of the most abject concerts for you, no?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I, I like vomited afterwards. It was just sick, sick and fuck. I was terrified, it was a solo gig. You wanted me to play solo? And I think I only had an amp and a snare drum because I was doing gigs with like this 360 degree. It was like flying a a helicopter. These gigs would take Three days to do because I'd have to go borrow my mother's car. Then, you know, it was they would just they'd get the drum kit would take one and a half hours to set up if I was lucky. Um, so I thought, well, why not just try and do voice only sometimes, things like that? Because we were good at fucking ourselves up and uh, trying to throw a spanner in, in the works for, for ourselves as not just at other people's. Machinations, machinery, you know, and uh, Martin was very good for that. Like, do something opposite, extreme. Try and like, really, it was proper experimental. Like, um, and you weren't afraid to, to really put yourself on the line and get some serious fucking grief. And uh, remember, we played at this architect <laughs> institute in uh, Hoben. Fucking millionaires there and shit, man. I remember the food that the uh, it was some party at the end of. This is like food. I didn't, couldn't even tell what it was, you know. Um, I, and it must have been Alan from Entract that had invited us. I didn't know who he was at the time. I, I love that guy so much. He was, he's a massively important person in my life. And uh, shimp, shrimp fuck duo or whatever they called were there from, uh, you know, Daniel from Toknet Aleph and Rudolf Eber. And so he was mad. And we did this death leg hemorrhage gig and it was just wreaking fucking havoc, you know. Very very strange. Um, anyway, back at the <coughs> yeah, that gig at the Lime Rotten House, I, I still have mixed feelings about it to this day. <laughs> so it like a. I've, ah, like a I've never been. I never been. Uh, I never, never, never
0: seen an improvising. I never seen an improviser. Being so resourceful and playing so well, a uh, toilet toilet paper roll. You really played the toilet paper <laughs> role.
1: Like nobody uh, yeah. else. Well, I, guess I was obsessed with this, like, uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous sort of bathos thing. But really, really soul-search. You know, it must have been very painful to be around. But I think it had enough. People did stick around, though, didn't they? I remember, like, uh, the fridge door mysteriously. I opened the fridge door. <laughs> people were like, this sort of generosity people have when they... They give it like time, I think, because they're thinking it this is this a gig or is it like a performance art or something? And so they'll they'll put up with a lot of shit, you know, because it's in that <laughs> kind of context.
0: <laughs> I mean, we you you trained, you know, as somebody who is into improvisation, you get trained to go through a lot of shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why not. I mean, they not bringing many in people the are article. into
0: improvisation.
1: why is it because sorry there's a slight delay i, I on guess the, on the yeah there's a bit of a
0: delay uh maybe if i put the headphones it works better um, you're distorting. Yeah, um i'm I distorting okay uh, let me Let me. yeah well,
2: it's just when when yeah when you are very close ah
0: okay yeah no i was just going to say that that's the thing with improvisation that you go through a lot of shit because there is you know because you are re- responding to the moment you cannot basically you know the right and wrong is not edited. it's like unconscious yeah. uh doing in which you bring a lot of shit also into the plane so i guess there's quite a lot of training to go through you know the threshold of uh tolerance gets wide wide open you know yeah, if yeah. improvisations So that's a good way of putting
1: it. And, and, and
0: again, that, that allows for
1: weird things to emerge. Yeah. You can say that again. I mean, uh, thank God the, uh, threshold of tolerance, uh, got very, very wide because, uh, I'm again, lucky, lucky <laughs> that I'm not, uh, wasn't put into a coma or a, well, again, here we are again, because we played this gig that lovely, uh, Lee Gamble and Gas put on in, uh, on Kingsland Road in this little pub, you know, and uh, I just split up with someone, and I drank loads of this evil beer called Stella, and I often had a very bad reaction, and then I played the gig with Matin and Eddie. I cannot believe, I feel so guilty that, you know, that I put Eddie and you through that, because I just went fucking bananas, man, uh, and smashed things up and I was attacking Martin. I just gave it like 101% but I but went no, into some you, you, psychotic state
0: but you did it you did it you did it to uh, wow. Lucas Abella in the concert of Lucas, Lucas Abela, Abela, Yeah. which make it he, you know
1: I think he sort of triggered this something uh, decades of abuse shit that had gone on in my from my old man and because uh, he was like playing this Big ch- chunk of broken glass with a contact mic on it, and he had his mouth full of KY jelly. Bizarrely, I kept being on the same bill as him in three different continents, <laughs> just by chance. It was really weird. I played in Australia and there's, and it, but uh, and then he would like cut himself with the glass and eat the glass and shit, and it it just sort of combined with uh, the shit I'd been going through and all the shit I was putting into my body, and uh, I went into like a psychotic state. <laughs> And this, uh, um, yeah, but Eddie like played this really fucking awesome sort of uh, free jazz improv. Mattin was going bananas on the uh, guitar and vocals, and uh, I think Lisa was very worried. I think she, Lisa, was going to attack me because I was like slapping Mattin and spitting on him. We do like mad fucked up shit, like spitting in each other's mouths and slapping each other, and we fucking really pushed it with each other, didn't we? <laughs> You know, Matton nearly killed me once, yeah, you know. Well, it certainly had to just, it had to end. It had to stop somewhere. Because uh, it was going just fucking, we could have ended up in a really, really bad mess, you know. But amazingly, you know, I got thrown out when, because you can't like be smashing up the, the chairs and shit and not. The promoter like grabbed me and threw me out in the street and I'm like, oh, fuck, you know. Uh And uh then they just were so sweet. They just let me back in and said, are you going to behave, you know? Can't believe the shit we put people through, but it got me where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
0: but I guess I guess it's very interesting that we were trying to explore the psychological and the traumatic kind of elements, the objects, the objects on society yeah. and on our psychologies, and bring it into the improvisatory context, exactly. and that was. Uh, I guess there weren't there were not so many people doing this at that time that I I come to.
1: Yeah, think yeah. yeah. Uh, Maybe much of some I mean, cool things like we're finding out where the power where is where are the power, the uh subliminal or the hidden types of power in these in this situation, which is calling itself free. Uh, um, and then just fucking discovering things in the moment and wreaking, wreaking havoc, fucking with things being uh, sort of ge- like genuinely experimental, bringing in a lot of camp and bathos, but kind of, you know, verging on uh, de- like very dangerous stuff for oneself and not, yeah. I don't think we were that dangerous for we members of the audience really. But uh, I think we were putting ourselves in a really genuinely like ex- extreme big situations, yeah, like, uh, yeah, things would, would backfire a bit, <laughs> I remember I was so angry, but I think I can really laugh at myself, what a prick, you know, but I was watching uh 24-hour party people with Zegum Azizov, bless him, because he was an awesome guy, we were running around with, and <coughs> a fellow, Jacob, and I was getting more and more wound up by the way they were, uh, representing Ian Curtis, because I had this fucking ultra- up myself, fascination with uh, with Ian Curtis, and uh, I sort of flipped when they showed the Herzog film of the chickens in the fruit machine, like uh, and Ian Curtis's legs dangling, and I thought it was so irreverent and uh, I, how how stupid, and I just flipped and I threw a can of Stella at the TV screen and I smashed up this huge, really heavy. Uh, chair, and I ran out of my house. I climbed out the fucking window, and uh, and I ran and ran with bare feet, and I hid in the Victoria Park. I climbed over a big spiky fence, and Ziggum was, was searching Hackney for me, you know, and then I was lying there in a fucked up state, and then I... It just dawned on me, like, this is this is fucking ridiculous, you know, you've just behaved like that over a, a fucking 24-hour party, people, you know, so I think I started to come out of that shit, you know, but... uh yeah like what was it it was a pyrrhic victory i'm glad i made it you know the cost was very very intense but it's, yeah I've, I've survived this far so which you know it's it's not been easy but anyway back to the uh yeah that, some of those gigs are just fucking incredible yeah all all good i'm glad i did it glad glad we went through all that shit together Martin. you know and we didn't end, uh, didn't, I guess so I moved fucking, to the room. Yes, a ferocious fucking arguments and shit. But, uh, Martin was very good at like de-escalating. you know, I'm very, uh, just go like fucking mad and, uh, just wreak havoc. It's very, very difficult for people to be around. Martin was an extremely good influence on me, <laughs> getting me back down to earth, you know? And then we'd talk about stuff and now uh, yeah. it was really good work. <clears throat> yeah then i guess I,
0: I moved good. to berlin we moved to berlin with lisa and then um yeah you continue to do the stuff and play concerts and you were doing also the stuff and with the legs. you were playing a lot with the legs
1: with dan beban yeah very very painful really i mean my i had terrible uh luck oh here we go Who's that i hear what's that, what's that? What's that? Is, that the, is that the world's tiniest violin i hear um I had this really great band with Daniel Beattie, I'm back in contact with him now, but uh, we, when we put something out on difficult fun, it was just incredible, the gigs were great, but that, that band broke up for the most fucked up reasons, you know, then uh, Martin moved to Berlin, devastating, absolutely devastating, because we were doing such great stuff. Um, so that one ended, you know, we tried to, we do things a bit, but, uh then i was working with the wonderful lovely awesome really well adjusted i'm so envious of him, you know (laughs) he's just the most bright talented nice you know in the best sense of the word person daniel Bevan. and uh he had a he was an engineer for bbc world service so we'd get in there at night and uh we could use bush house all the studios and uh, bbc world service and uh make make these amazing recordings and uh we would even use the live feed from the big ben clock tower i'd cycle down there and i'd be shouting up and dan daniel would be in the studio at bush house recording the the vocal you know that's coming through the live feed um all kinds of really awesome stuff um but then dan was like you know, we had, we had a record deal lined up for that. The gigs were just above and beyond. He said, yeah, I got some bad news, man. I'm going to move to New Zealand. And I was like, oh, no, why? And he's like, well, I've got my girlfriend there and my family, which are, you know, two very good reasons. And I'm like, shit, we really are at the peak of, yeah, you know, oh, it's absolutely devastating. You know, at least we did get the album out. It was very, very painful. Shit, you know, but... Uh, couldn't really keep it going. Dan would come back to London a couple of times a year and we'd sort of do bits and pieces, but that was the end of Slakes, really. But thank fuck Alan from n did put that, that that album out, yeah. Um, but again, was, things were still going on. I was doing the Abject Block weekenders at Limehouse Town Hall. And um, I think it came quite a bit later. I started doing the Abject Block radio show as well. But yeah, it was kind of over, really. I, was, I wasn't I was going to the workshop anymore. And, yeah substances got a bit of a grip on me to say the least and uh yeah a bit of a wilderness time then I got it. here we are back to square one heavily involved in frontline uh pavement politics but
0: just before that oh, you, no, I mean you' no, were no, coming. Uh, uh yeah yeah you, true, also, true. you came to berlin quite often and you we released the solo your double solo record which is amazing with takunami we released it and you remember the oh, thank you the concert uh celebration the you know the concert release of this at
1: ausland at the at ausland yeah 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 i mean they were great nights weren't they yeah i mean yeah true yeah, yeah i was coming yeah. to berlin a lot and i had this plan to like be there for six months and be london six months yeah uh, and i started buying equipment which and storing it at matins place and uh yeah we played quite a lot of gigs there they, they were berlin was very very exciting i haven't been there for a while but uh a few years now i i loved going there um
0: there's yeah, a we, connection. We, there's a connection with Claire Rosé because we did um, a couple of collaborations with uh, Philip Best. Yeah, Do you remember yeah, yeah. those concerts?
1: Like fucking mind-blowingly intense. And uh, again, like, well, you know, we got away with uh, not like they were really, really dangerous. Like, I mean, one of them, I I'd been playing for about. 30 seconds, and I got a bottle in my face, like fucking harsh, and it smashed my mirrored sunglasses, and uh, there was just blood everywhere. That was within 30 seconds or something. Valerio, it was a fucking idiot, you know. I think it's probably because I spat in his face, you know. So it's my fucking fault, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure if I did. I think I spat on him at Ailsa, but not in the basement with with Bestie, you know. And I like, I just said the show the show must go on they just uh, it was fucking mad um and Philip really gave it 101% we all did we re- and it was rammed it was this tiny claustrophobic basement death trap fucking mad like really yeah. really pushing it it was just like all or nothing like going into sort of into the zone transcendental state like the audience were going fucking um, yeah, I remember this fellow, Paul, who had Baron Bumblard, and he was talking afterwards, because I went over to Berlin in a, with a crew, you know, as Luke and uh, Steve from Birds of Delay, and really lovely, lovely people, I and mean, Baron Bumbler Paul was like, the vibe was just, like, what's, like, what's going to happen next, like, you didn't know what was going to happen next. And you could fucking say that again, you know. I mean, I'm not going to quote. Philip said much <laughs> Philip was because we were up for like, he was a, a friend, but we wanted to sort of fuck him up as well. Fuck each other up and push and pull the pull the rug from under each other's legs. You know, everyone I think had their agenda. I'm going to do some fucked up secret shit on Matt tonight that he won't know what's fucking him, But shit, you know, and just trying to make it really count. All or nothing, man. You know. And, yeah, there's broken glass and blood and, but we've we've hated that shit as well. So we were bringing in like um, camp and uh, I brought in like homoerotic stuff and, yeah, man, it was a, it was like partly a fucking good laugh, but like way way other kinds of mad 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 shit too, like. all coming back to me there's a recording of it isn't there but Jesus man I thought Martin was going to kill me within about a minute (laughs) yeah because I just started attacking you slapping him and spitting slap spit because that came from this awful thing that had to happen to Joel Stern at your 21st birthday party like 20 years before Martin Martin threw this party and we've got to bring this one up man in uh Bethnal Green. They had this house share in Bethnal Green with like Joel Stern, Run Malvadi, Dimitra, Martin. Some you know, all, and we, I went. I turned up at the party at about eight o'clock at night, and the party had started at about midday. And I just never forget this feeling of, "Fuck, I know these people, I th- but they're not the people I know. They're like zombie versions." Do you know why? <laughs> it's Because it was one of the hottest days of the year, and they've been drinking all fucking day in the in the heat. And they were very, I'd never seen anything like it. It was proper like uh, body snatchers. And uh, within seconds, like this, Mattins shouting at this, this fucking mad guy who's really little and he was a real troublemaker. Why did you tell me to fuck off? Why? Why did you tell me to fuck off? And I'm like, fuck, you know, where am I? This is fucking mad in here. And then uh, Suki Burke was there wreaking havoc. He stuck a uh, new tampon on the wall. And um, then you've got this ethereal ender. Ender, I think he was. And he's like slapping Joel Stern. And I'm like looking at it thinking, this is partly why I later got into standing up for myself against bullies and stuff. Because I was like a pacifist back then. God, what a mug. Um, and I thought, this has got to stop this fucking guy, Joel is the nicest fucking guy on earth and he's just being spat on and slapped and people are like standing back thinking it's fucking art or they're thinking they're pacifists or some shit so I'm like, I got in the ring and I'm like, "Uh," and then people like turned on me and they're like, hey yeah he's still being like a macho guy you know, and I'm like, what, this is my fucking friend who's being spat on where am I? I was like I started to sort of think for myself More, I thought, you know what, there's a lot of stuff in this world which is a load of, of shit. If people are going to stand back and watch that and just think it's, and not fucking do something and step up. And then it ended up with, uh, I better not say people's names who are doing it, but the most gentle people in the world ended up kicking the shit out of this ender. <laughs> and you're like, what? These sort of uh, really gentle uh, experimental music people were like they were so wasted they're, they're like stamping up and down on him out in the street and like no no exaggeration whatsoever like at least three meat wagons pulled up these police uh, big uh, cop vans you know it's fucking mad you know so then fast forward to Berlin what 15 years later I suppose I was referencing the I guess the trauma of seeing that assault on uh, on Joel on Martin the spitting and slapping and then I'd already done it with Martin and he'd had enough of it now because he was doing shit like that to me but uh, it was nothing like what happened with poor thingy when that poor performance artist got human feces put in their mouth you know <coughs> got arrested for doing that and, uh, but Martin just like flipped and and like pinned me down on the floor and screaming and I remember just being like in this stunned state because it was this fine line between are you gonna flip? And is it gonna be like a real fight, or is are we gonna just be like, oh, we're performing? It was it was a kind of a dangerous tightrope to walk.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Not interesting with the Enda with Enda with Enda that slapping thing. Mm-hmm. The thing is that we came we went together to the first concert that I went to see White House at the Red Rose, and basically. Mm. He was in the first in the first row and he was antagonizing yeah white house and you know are you white house are you white house and then peter sotos would come to him and just basically slap him you know so basically right. peter sotos was doing that to Ender, and then he ended up doing that to joel and then oh you did it God. to me exactly. so it's, a, it's something that kind of troubles and the thing is that this oh, is on yeah. a video you can see you can see him in a video and he also you know just pour a bottle of beer into Endas you know like uh, you know so that is, is a funny thing uh, with these performative abuses
1: that uh, might have been what that kind of possibly influenced, of, what might have influenced you when you I hid under your in a big barrel under your computer at the bonington and made like the human noise music thing and you were pretending to play the computer and i was hiding in this big black barrel making like noise and people actually fell for it didn't they and then i crept out and then i uh, did a headstand and pulled my trousers down <coughs> and mattim Matt pulled a bottle of beer on my on my uh naked uh, you know hemorrhoids you know um yeah, I mean, there's funny shit like that. The foundry wasn't there. We're like, play, you were playing my ass with a guitar, jack plug, and stuff, and it's fucking hilarious because you hear my team go, woo, 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 because <laughs> I'm like slapping the floor and fucking laughing my head off as well, and the people in the audience are like really laughing and, and flip, flipping out and shit, you know. So uh, oh, it's funny. So that that's that, a that's a, that, that, oh, no, that's a very interesting connection. That's
0: a very interesting connection. Um, it came out actually uh, in the last uh, social discipline with uh, Claire Rosé, but it's a connection between, yeah, because Dylan Noyukis and Yuki's, uh, Karen were there. I remember Karen saying, yeah. I can feel the energy, totally taking yeah, the peace yeah, out said, of us. On, and it was, and on. Dead Machines. Ah, yeah,
1: Ka- yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I, I remember also Dylan. Uh, Dead Machines were playing. Uh, which is John Olson and her wife. Um, for God, I forgot can name. I think she was in 16 Beach Pile Ups. Really amazing Detroit band at the time. Noise really. that, that kind yeah. of made a connection to the noise, with the noise scene. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that was like, okay, there was, it was interesting because, okay, uh, we were, yeah, between New London Silence, Them, you know, going to Berlin sometimes, maybe at that time, maybe not. And then the American noise. So I guess it was a kind of amazing. And then Lee Gamble was organizing concerts at the time. It was a very interesting mix. But then, yeah. So then, when we were in Berlin, um, and then you started with the substances. or when did you start with the sure, substances? Hmm. So Second, sorry. Uh, I don't know if you want to go into it, but like, like the substances. When did they start?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> probably about 2012 yeah yeah sadly yeah big big no, big it fucking was before. I, I, it, it was before
0: it was before because uh, the, the, we did the it was like Rotterdam when we yeah, did yeah, humiliated right, yeah. uh it was 2000 and it was 2007
1: yeah, you're right actually because I'm thinking it was about 12 13 years ago. That's where I'm getting 2012 from. It was funny that like later on, you know, I've been uh, I was so kind of narrow-minded, I didn't understand the certain things can coexist um so you know i might be a bit like rejecting the kind of the grimprov thing and then later on i'm rediscovering the same people that are actually involved in things i do now and i'm like oh that's kind of uh, awesome you know because they they're uh, actually uh, very very involved in um in stuff, you know, which I didn't have a fucking clue back then, you know. So, <laughs> you know, um, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> you, can, you can actually be doing many different things. Yeah, I yeah, think like my, Nathaniel
0: you know, Cutspole, no?
1: Exactly. Yeah, he's he's a very good uh, he was writer for uh, political writer, you know, and he's very involved. Yeah, yeah, with some, you know, it's very very good work. So that was amazing to sort of meet yeah, so him like, again in a different part of my life, like much decade, you know, like 10 years, 15 years later, after first meeting him in a, uh improv gig, you know. Last thing I would have thought is he's involved yeah. in another thing. Yeah. And and how do you think
0: the whole... Yeah, how do you think the whole substances kind of started to... I mean, it was London, no? London was the... I mean, yeah, it is interesting uh, that you mention you mention heroin in the Lime Rotten House because some people went into heroin. Sadly, but, yeah. Uh, you, you, didn't go in, you didn't go into that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was... But then, how, uh, how did you start?
1: I remember there was some of that shit around and I was uh, on something else and I said to my friend, like, whatever you do, never, never offer you this shit, you know. Thank fuck, you know, uh it was close you know because you'd be going to i'd be going to these stupid uh, 12-step death cult meetings AA, all that shit i was they fucking sucked me in for 12 years odd and you pick up more tips on how to use drugs in there than you I mean i'd be going there on a horrific come down off uh, loser powder and there's a fella going well why didn't you use a bit of brown to come down off here that would, that would be, <laughs> be like what you know awful i hate it i hate 12 step man it's fucking vile it's, it should be wiped off the face of the earth i, I work this incredible book called rational recovery and the, the solution is old as the hills it's, i really recommend that book if anyone's struggling with any kind of addiction rational recovery amazing amazing book smart recovery is good as well oh, great. yeah i mean uh, bad how, bad, uh, bad days for me that stuff
0: but how, yeah. how did it start i mean was it L- I mean, london i guess still, london it was yeah.
1: around it, it was in yeah, London, and, yeah, I mean, you know you realize that's not everyone in the uh, sort of art game and music world is particularly ethical you know and uh, I just got like a bit involved with with the wrong crowd you know and uh, suddenly stuff starts appearing and uh, it just took over took over my my world and you start not giving a fuck about anything else you know awful I'm glad to be out of all that crap it's been very difficult
0: that's great that you got out
1: thanks Yeah, you've always been very supportive Martin you know yeah I mean uh, <laughs> I don't know about too many anecdotes and war stories on that one but we had some tricky time. we did this incredible tour of North America you know there's a bit of there were things flying around and <laughs> it didn't exactly bring out the the best side of my personality and I'll never forget my tins like Tim it it doesn't suit you <laughs> it doesn't suit you <laughs> This is such a sweet way of, you know, this tour was. Bring it home, man.
0: Talking about logistics, this tour was absolutely crazy. First concert in Montreal, (laughs) second in Austin, Texas, third in uh, Auckland. Like, yeah, basically the first concert in uh, Montreal. We really, really—it was one of the, our best concerts. I think it's online.
4: That was it, very like, good. And that people one,
0: yeah. were people were really totally into it, and then the other yeah. one, the next one, in Austin with Drunk Driver, was you know nobody—they yeah, were yeah. not into it.
1: Everybody. We asked. emptied the venue in about two minutes flat, didn't we? I think we thought, oh yeah, this is like the sort of uh, left-wing bit of texas you know and this is going to be a really (laughs) audience will be really (laughs) interested in what we're doing you know and they just fucking left after seconds gutting (laughs) and my mate didn't even turn up from glasgow uh, that i'd met in like 1990 you know he he didn't even come so we uh yeah difficult tour because we did that tour by renting cars riding greyhound buses riding amtrak i'll never forget the 12-hour journeys on amtrak flying around i mean can you imagine flying i think was it from texas to sacramento the amount of money to play a That's- tiny youth club a teeny weeny youth club you know in the audience were very young and there was uh and i'm just like could not go through with some of this shit but we fucking had to push ourselves i'm just like ripping my hair out pacing around going these kids do not need us we've got nothing to offer them like i can't inflict our shit on these poor kids and they didn't they were the promoter was angry because he thought it was going to be billy bell and he was very angry with us we did death like hemorrhage high and contra kind of the head fuck show that without even any drum kit or guitar i think and uh yeah, I'll never forget. He was a big fellow at a radio show, didn't he? And uh, but um, DJ and Martin,
0: DJ Rick, big thank yeah, you for this.
1: Martin warned me because uh, we had a like a holiday, wonderful, you like too good to be true kind of thing in LA. Lovely time we had, you know, and going on uh yeah oh, what was it Ta- um taco crawl you know we had like 10 different tacos wandering around and just awesome hanging out Maya Lubinsky and you know uh yeah uh, but the Matin like, like me. he said like when we fly to the uh, east coast it's gonna be get ready because it's gonna be rough and <laughs> oh, fucking hell he was right <laughs> yeah, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> where was that place where these band this is another reason i'm going to say something about hippies because they are not what they seem not what they purport to be there was this group called cave bears i mean what a lovely name cave bears what could possibly go wrong um they opened for us i can't remember where that was and uh i think maine. they were on in MP maine i think it was in maine in there was an amazing woman there. wasn't, wasn't there that we were hanging out with. She was really cool. Uh, Jessica she, Ryland. She Jessica
0: Ryland. Really That's amazing.
1: A, amazing people we met. Cave Bears got like really fucking offended by what we were doing because we were doing some kind of <gasps> kind of. And they like, even like making a sound like that would, would it made their blood boil and they. One of them picked up a fucking broken bottle, you know, and I'm like, they can't be fucking serious. They were. I think we gave them a bad trip. So they're dressed up in like this rainbow <laughs> attire and they wanted to kill us. These fucking cave bears. And we had to get protection from the And I'm like, fucking hell, you know. They're not they are not what they seem. These hippie cave bears.
0: Yeah, they but then one of um, them put a bottle opener into my neck.
1: Oh shit! Yeah, fuck you know, man. Yeah. Um, the audience. But before is... that, we
0: played. We played in, in Bridgeport. Do you remember the classic, classic, classic Bridgeport experience?
1: Yeah, I mean that was uh, crucial, like epic, like basically we. The, there were these like shops. Avant Gardens
0: organized by Keith Richardson uh, that
1: really really amazing person Was that the Gay Gardens yeah. gig or the Gay Gardens?
0: Yeah, no no that was the no that was the Avant Gardens.
1: Uh okay in in Bridgeport yeah and they basically taken over shops because there was a row of shops and um they they had a venue amazing amazing project and uh we started playing and uh, I did like my um, sort of slow motion Frankenstein kind of zombie, Frankenstein's monster walk out of the venue, in, like within seconds. Like, and then I got like psyched up to come back into the venue. I, I come back into the venue and it's like the most head fuck thing. One of the most head fucks I've ever had because I'm in the venue. Everyone has gone. But the music is still playing, I can hear Martin, in and I'm like looking around and I could not fucking work out what was happening because it, it is completely empty. And it took me a few seconds to fucking, I thought I must have died or something. Then I realized I've, I've gone into an empty shop and it's identical built identically to the venue next door and the reason why I can hear the music is because the music is leaking through so a uh, very very strange experience i don't know if i've explained myself yeah like it was a bit like yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely bizarre it was good for me i think it was quite good for yeah. me and
0: then the one at the uh, yeah i guess the gay gardens was at in boston when uh, we yeah we opened drunk driver very
1: yeah we had like margarita garcia nice. and barry with us and
0: uh, that was in that was in, in bridgeport very very good and twin stamps mm-hmm. great great band noise band Twin, twin stamps.
1: Stamps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that fellow who drove the, the van like mega crazy and he had some band called car crash or something what were they remember that guy
0: Ah, uh, sixes sixes that was in yeah. Auckland, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really amazing. It... Auckland, yeah, there was a great, nice scene in Auckland.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, we uh, met some uh, great people. Yeah, very, very tough, though, very difficult. I mean, because my team would, <laughs> we didn't have mobile phones and, like, uh, we'd sort of land like an airport and i'd be like right where's the venue mattin will be like oh i I don't know and i would be like okay where's the contact for the i don't know we got to find an internet cafe somewhere do you not have it written down in a notebook Uh, and i'm like what the fuck (laughs) the most fucked up and it's incredible we didn't get uh murdered because we're like walking around oakland you know which in the rough like bit of it like industrial estates and you know, people I know that live there are like, well, are you fucking mad? You know, we've got, like, computers in our backpacks and fucking just very naive, very, very naive. <laughs> but we pulled it off. I mean, Pyrrhic victory. There's that word again. I mean, the main words <laughs> I say these days are like... like <laughs> <laughs> Megagaga Kafkaesque Nightmare, Pyrrhic Victory. Uh, you know, I've been saying those a lot for the last couple of years. I don't say them quite so much now. Go on, though. I'm a turn of rabbiting on about. I mean,
0: Jan, the poetry. No, 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 the poetry. This is one thing that you haven't been very humble about it. But your poetry and your writing is exceptional. And then, you know, like in the first... Uh, the uh, it's high and contra, the poetry that you wrote in the artwork and that you were singing—this is something that, you know, you've been working for me. You you, you develop your own language, but it's, um, you know, I don't think Thank you. the world knows about it. And uh, I think you should. Are you still working on that?
1: Yeah, I think I should. Yeah, I well now I have a home, you know, because I had this awful. Uh, I mean, living in London is just fucking hard. I mean, obviously it's nowhere near as hard as where most people are in the world, you know. But uh, it's, you know, these awful. um, Yeah, you just have like no stability, you know, I finally have some stability because after living in a homeless hostel for one year, I mean, lockdown in a homeless hostel was very, very rough. And finally I have this this incredible home, this council flat, and uh, it's just like, this paradise. I mean, so now, anyway, the point is that I'm able to uh, have my kid coming to stay and I can also like start writing and drawing and uh, I'm setting up a little drum kit. And uh, yeah, I can just really, really develop things now and uh, recover. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I've, I did uh, some some writing, a little bit of writing to someone the other day, and I'm, I'm surprised. I never thought it would ever happen. I thought it was long gone, dead forever. Yeah, never never thought I'd be playing drums at, but with genuine interest, you know, because I haven't played them for f- many years now, you know. And But I I'm actually have a genuine uh, taste for it again. I am forcing it a little bit because partly I still want to be out there, uh, um, getting stuck into, uh, bad, bad people, you know, and, uh, and, uh, standing up to bullies, but, uh, that's not an option now, you know, there are other ways of doing that, you know, it's a little bit like, like what I mentioned earlier about coming out of a- the ALF and, and getting into playing drums and making records, you know, so it's just, I'm a little bit like that again. So, um, yeah, like I said earlier, I'm going to get a lot of slides digitized and put on the internet because I have a very amazing archive of, uh, uh, of of work, you know, that me and my friends made, like the low-cost claustrophobic show from 98, you know, um, that's going to get get digitized and go, get up there. I mean, sadly, my a lot of my stuff is being held hostage. I've, I've got a, an ugly situation going on. There's a... Someone. I, when I became homeless, I did an SOS. And uh, people took on my things and put them into storage. A lot of stuff got lost, you know. But uh, my, a lot of my art and all my DAT tapes um, are in storage with this guy who's kind of had a... Something's gone very, very fucking wrong with his brain. And uh, he's holding that stuff hostage. And he's actually destroying some of it and tormenting me and I, he seems to have three or four different personalities he believes he's doing magic spells to help me and like he's fucking actually serious so it's quite a bit of my stuff is, is gone uh, which is fucking painful but i'm kind of i'm over the worst of it now but um hopefully we're in the end game stages and uh well we are in the end game now and um, i'm gonna see what's left left of that stuff uh and then if maybe the dats are still there and I'm going to be editing those up because I've got this, this nice home now and I can sit down and I've got a new computer and I can go through my, uh, my stuff and edit it up and put it out there. Yeah. And hopefully be start writing some new things. I mean, I'm writing quite a bit online and, uh, but you know, I was in this, uh, this book came out with a painting I made in 1987, a graffiti piece I made at three corners. And uh, so things are coming out and I did a little interview for that. And I did the, the interview with Steve All City about my hip hop days in the eighties. So I'm get kind of a bit like, yeah, I'm getting the taste for it to write some new stuff. Yeah, because I'm kind of quite proud of some of the things I did. I still think this. I'm very proud of the Slakes. All all the records I put out. I'm re, I do actually. I look back at them. I mean, I always have a bit of a love hate. You know, there's always things in there. But uh, but I'm generally fairly uh, happy with with my ooh, and uh yeah i'm up for doing something new yeah yeah i think i might be writing and a bit uh, of i uh, guess
0: another uh, moment that
1: just my experiences is living un... another
0: month uh yeah sorry you were going to say about your experience
1: yeah i think it's time to uh write about what it was like living with a cop as a dad my dad was an undercover cop in the CID and uh, it's time to start putting that stuff out really yeah I've got uh, lots and lots of stories Um, it'll be good for me I think I've started writing a little bit about it yeah so that's something I want to uh, yeah to write I've been thinking about making a book about that
4: Hmm. like a novel
1: yeah 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 i mean i'm a little bit like uh some people are saying maybe do a podcast or stuff like what we're doing here i think i'm a bit stuck in the old days of like yeah you got to write a a biography or a biography maybe i don't maybe you can be doing these um kind of interviews and stuff or do do both you know be like yeah i mean my friend's Stuart Holm is a huge, huge, huge influence on me. A lovely, lovely guy. He was very, very important, actually, with me being having one foot in anti-fascism and another foot in uh, performing and having a radio show, making records. Stuart was like a missing link. And I would, we'd do a ma- massive shout-out to Stuart Holm. Yeah, I mean, the guy's just absolutely incredible. Fucking- Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some- absolutely.
2: Yeah. Actually, I, mean, I don't know if I. Sorry? Yeah, I
1: mean, he's openly queer. He's, he's tiny, but he's the, the toughest guy in the world and he's got the biggest heart in the world. And he is not afraid to put himself on the line. You know, like his publisher got burned by fucking Russian Nazis. You know, Stuart's got a lot of enemies. But uh, he's my, uh, he's like the twin brother I always wanted, you know, and he, he really, uh, yeah, he's a, uh, so he's, I think about him about, because he wrote this absolutely wonderful book about his mother um, called Tainted Love. And my God, you know, wow. Um, yeah, so uh, Stuart and, and, uh, is someone I think about a lot when I'm thinking about writing some more of my own story, you know. Also, I want to mention Marco, no, you know, but... one of my best friends, and uh, we did some great stuff together. You know, I mean, I had a funny day when I turned 40 when I went to meet my parents for a birthday dinner, and then I went to a anti-fascist demonstration against these scumbags. Uh, it was a bit much for one day. And then on that night, I went to the tape gallery because I was... In this film that Mark Ariel Waller had made, Horror Yoga. So that was a pretty, a day that kind of sums up my life a bit, you know? <laughs> a bit too much for one day, you know? Anyway, where were we?
2: And I was going to mention that it's uh, somehow uh, interesting because for me, uh, reading The Assault on, on Culture by Stewart Home. It was a massive, massive game changer, uh, from being a teenager interested in punk and so, to suddenly discover like situation situationist, international, class war, etc. Yeah. So it was a book that I remember perfectly. Reading this book, uh, like with with an interest that uh, in the. In the past i never read something with with that sort of like what the fuck is going on in this world and knowing about all these these things that he outlines very well no in the book and for me it was uh, only only a very tiny 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 bit like the motherfuckers and some black panther stuff that maybe i was aware of but the rest yeah. it was like and was, ahead Yeah, I, I will always remember the, the day I put that. I bought that book and I read that book. I will always remember. Yeah.
0: And one, one question, Miguel. Yeah. something that I, 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 n- I, never, I never knew. How come uh, you studied uh, art history? Was it maybe this a kind of influence or because? Yeah, I mean, now you are more in in philosophy, but like, how how come you went into art history?
2: Because you know when. Uh, Actually, when, when we met, we were doing these things for a couple of art institutions in Spain. And even though I was uh, just before the financial crash of 2008, and even though I was interested in philosophy and so, I thought maybe it was a sort of rational, mm-hmm. rational move or something like that to, to study as an undergrad art history to them to pursue a life. Uh, like from or within the the art world. But obviously my interest in philosophy only was higher and higher and well, you know, the rest of the story basically. But yeah, I finished my undergrad as art history because I thought, yeah, maybe this is a good idea. But then after 2008, the situation in Spain regarding art and culture collapsed. So it, it was like nonsense. It was like... Yeah, but my... Since we came, Roberto and I, from from nothing, from pure DIY thing, to to have certain open minds in our institutions that were interested in doing stuff regarding sound and so. So I thought, okay, maybe there is a critical path here that I can take. But obviously, yeah the situation changed dramatically in terms of financial horizon of the arts in Spain.
0: Yeah, the crisis, I mean, this is something that we haven't talked, but uh, I guess it had massive, massive repercussions to the way that we uh, understood our practices, because I guess we we started to develop our practices in quite an affluent uh, period. And, um, yeah, fascism the started
4: to
1: catch was, as well. Yeah, the, also, after, with the crisis, more politicized, the you know, it was a much more political. Yeah, Golden Dawn appeared, and groups like that. Exactly, exactly.
0: And maybe we had a more existential kind of approach, and then uh, maybe the politics started to maybe kicked in in a more. I don't know if directly, but like, I mean, the reality really changed. I mean, we were in the States when the crisis was happening, but like it was still too early. And I guess I remember very well, you know, when we were hanging out, you know, going with to to play in Arica with uh, Brownie and Barry. Uh, they were doing an amazing, amazing work. There was a lot of people from there who were involved in the student movement.
1: I guess yeah. that was... Uh, yeah also a very very rich period uh, very important that you mention those they they yeah yeah that i uh, thank you for mentioning those events because they were huge for me but that was a crucial turning point for me to engage with anti-fascism because there's a group called Stodelat i think they were called and they uh, they were, they did a very very good theater piece but they showed a clip of uh russian nazis attacking uh what they thought was an immigrant a person of color sitting alone on a uh, on a subway train and it i will never forget the sick sickening visceral reaction i had and something changed that's when i realized i had to put down the drumsticks and like get out there and start fucking taking these fuckers down you know um and they uh then pavlos was murdered in uh pavlos pavlos visas murdered by these golden dawned cowards uh, he wanted yeah. to fight one of them one-on-one but the prick fucking executed him with us with a knife you know when that happened i thought fuck you know this is now time to i made some records and now i'm going to learn how to fight and i'm learn i'm going to learn how to, to outthink them and i want to use my uh art skills like my situation is dada surreal shit to to live in their fucking brains and live in their dreams and be the last thing they think about before they go to bed. And the first thing they think about when they wake up, like I can get into their fucking minds. And because I was quite fucked up and right wing when I was a child, which I thankfully recovered from, I think I'm good at infiltrating them and working undercover. And, and uh, yeah, cause you know, there's kind of 1% of what we do is, is fighting you know street fighting the most of it's learning how to fuck them up in every fucking way possible you know my my girlfriend was like finally you found a legitimate outlet for your sadistic creative streak these this is a a, a worthwhile target you know so you've got you you found your niche you know (laughs) but yeah Um, yeah. So did you? Yeah. So you felt those? Yeah. I remember talking to people at the uh, Arica events, and they were very involved with uh, uh, opposing the police murders of uh, of people of color and things like that. And it started to really wake me up, you know. And uh, I love. I, ma- I made. So the
0: Chadelat chat awesome. event was part of the Arica.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the people at those events were just fucking awesome, man. You know, if you think also like Sasha. Yeah. was there uh, Sasha just blew my mind because he's yeah. a fucking great writer and artist but he was also volunteering at a, a info shop to help people who are struggling with um, poverty and I'm like fucking hell like these people doing doing both you know doing a number of things and I said yeah like this is this it can be done yeah you know
0: Yeah, that, that was... Uh, so. But but then you were simultaneously in Antifa, but also having problems with substances, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd be clean for a while, and then, uh, I mean, my crew spotted it that I was dealing with the the PTSD by sometimes getting off my fucking nut, you know. I mean, one thing, a fucking bloodbath battle happened, um and I was clean at the time, but like after that, I just uh, relapsed. Yeah, call surprise, you know. I mean, I think I could cope with that kind of situation now and stay clean. But yeah, it was kind of aggravating because I mean, f- <coughs> one of the first times I had to uh, physically oppose a group of neo-Nazi security guards, uh, something switched in my brain, which triggered i use the t word quite carefully but this was a real genuine the uh violence i had suffered as a child uh through my old man you know it sort of unlocked it unlocked something of that and it was pretty uh hard to deal with yeah so uh but i'm all right with it all now yeah i'm kind of did my did my uh my duty you know I mean I was getting some good reactions from me Merlin Carpenter was uh he he's like yeah you you know you did your duty you did your duty good on you you know and so I starting to see like some people coming out with things I never thought they'd say stuff like that some of these he's kind of an art world superstar you know but he's, his politics are pretty fucking good you know and so it's, that was cool because I think some Sometimes people were keeping it hidden back then. I mean, I think a lot of people in the kind of art game and stuff, they didn't really have a moral compass. They're kind of hedging their bets constantly, and it wasn't maybe cool to have like a, a stance on a certain, you know, Palestine or uh, Golden Dawn, or you know. So, uh, so I threw the baby out with the bathwater a bit, like hating on. Many artists and musicians, but then I started to, you know, meet, meet, you know, some good people came into my life, you know, that were like a little bit more complex than I uh, first suspected, you know, how wrong you can be, you know. But uh, there were still loads of, like. I mean, a lot of people really sell their soul when they get a bit of success and like, yeah, and so fuck them. (laughs) They'd sell their grandmother. Were you
0: able to? Were you able, like, like I guess, you know, like pre-Brexit and then, you know, you could feel, you know, there was all this, uh, you know, I guess the rise of the alt-right, was it, you know, were you also kind of, uh, I guess, I mean, then there was the whole movement against the L50 gallery in London, so were LD50, all these things kind yeah. of uh, connected and LD50, exactly, LD50, sorry. Yeah and uh yeah it was an interesting yeah, like one yeah. how, how, how you experience all that like was it like and then with brexit you know were you seeing that a uh, move in the whole society that they were going more towards the right
1: uh, fucking right mate yeah i mean <clears throat> L- ld50s uh, especially fucking uh offensive to me and because uh, uh, ld50 means lethal dose 50 and um it's some incredibly fucking sick experiment they do on uh, sentient beings you know aka animals so i learned about ld50 experiment when i was really young and uh, it made me hate vivisection and it helped me end up being vegan because being, for me being vegan is just being against all forms of oppression that's why, why i'm why i'm vegan um so then yeah like this fucking gallery appears and i, I, you, I just thought what you know like what the fuck it just shit started coming out Appearing and you know, like it just beggared belief. Just blew my mind. I thought this cannot be fucking happening, you know um, Yeah, and then it sort of got on a bit of a roll and then next thing, you know, you're hearing about uh, people being attacked and uh, Yeah, one of the first demonstrations I went on was because some Jewish people were attacked by Polish neo-Nazis in Tottenham and I was just like what the fuck and swastikas appearing and I'm like this can't be things are fucking severely going backwards and and fuck we gotta fucking do something um Jesus no uh and thankfully we've had a lot of success in keeping keeping them on the back foot you know but uh I I don't really like being retired because (laughs) I'm gonna try and pass my skills on you know but uh It's 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 this it's still going strong, you know. These organizations suddenly come out of the blue, and then they're getting some get moving forward again. You know, they're getting some ground again, gaining ground again, and then we got to go hundred and one percent, and then get them on the back foot, you know. And uh, Jesus. I mean, what do you guys think about? It? I think we sailed very close uh, to the edge, with, especially last year with Trump. And uh, I mean, things are fucking rough in London, though. Man, look at Pretty Patel. You know, wanting to put people in prison for ten years for defacing a statue—shit like that—and like it's, it's fucking rough times, huh? Partly, I can't really. I try to not not to think about it to, uh, to a degree because I have. A six-year-old and I, uh, I, I I'm a bit like I have to keep in this delusional <laughs> not quite delusional but try to stay positive and um, hopeful and uh, thankfully there are still many many great people around and now living back where I am I'm uh, bumping into wonderful people pretty much on a daily basis and uh, yeah so th- there's there's some uh, serious opposition we're on the right side of history if that's the right way of putting it yeah and the youngsters seem very very politicized and
2: uh, yeah this is something uh, that I am really hopeful about
1: great yeah
2: I mean my little girl (laughs) may
1: I didn't uh, prompt her to do this she wrote a poster the other day saying um, do not come in this house cops and she did a drawing of a cop crossed out (laughs) I don't know where she thought this up from, and I'm like, and she wanted to put them on on her street. <laughs> it's really funny. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's good to hear that you're hopeful, Miguel. Too. Yeah, I think young the youngsters and are hopeful
2: dying. hopeful yeah. uh, regarding uh, certain things that I think are going to change. Yeah. Yes or yes, at least. And this is a little bit sad, but at least in this areas of the world obviously we are seeing very horrible things in other places places that maybe are not very far from here this week we we are seeing this horrible situation in Ceuta with Morocco and Spain and the images are like I mean uh, are insane okay but yeah. yeah there is a level of I think there is a level of engagement from the youth regarding certain questions that they are conquering space uh, in a positive way uh, and winning battles that we we couldn't win in the past. And things are irreversible for the positive uh, in many areas, but things are getting normalized regarding, yeah, stuff. And this is hopeful, but obviously then, the loss of privilege from certain uh, strata of the society generates this sort of very ugly reactions, mm. neo-reactions yeah. from the from populist from the far right, etc., etc. So I think these are like catastrophic shifts, and we see like very, very evil and ugly stuff going on, precisely because as are trying to counteract this this uh, losing privilege yeah. uh, attitude you know, from white dudes uh, from Western countries mostly, no. but exactly. I hope this is, is here to stay, And uh, but the problem is that, yeah, it's very difficult to be optimistic. I, I don't consider myself optimistic. I see this, these new problems with, new populism new far right etc and is extremely abject and depressing and inhumane but then there are things that uh, that are that I find hopeful you know when you see I don't know a student very young student 18 years old and so that you see certain essentialist attitudes do not exist at all Uh, Yeah so that's fantastic that's something like you can see transformation in society in front of your eyes and this is uh, it's fucking awesome no? but obviously absolutely. yeah it's uh sorry second um,
1: absolutely i think you've really articulated it incredibly well i'm really happy to hear how you've uh, explained things yeah now your angle on things is really i
2: strongly agree yeah yeah the problem is that we cannot I mean the, the battle is, is, is obviously is not over and and we are going to see problems like this silly stupid international relationships thing with Ceuta. I guess this is just the beginning of yeah mi- migration issues that that with politics uh, like we we see here in the UK no it's a stupid thing that now we are going to see this is this is something that has to be I don't know fight against. I don't know. It's, it's difficult know. because we live a very bleak moment in history. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's, I guess, yeah, like, I'm thinking of the kind of international aspects of the improv scene, even though there was very white and male dominated, but, you know, it had this kind of very international, I mean, we were also in London at that yeah. time, where a lot of people from different places, as we were mentioning, came to to live and to try, you know, and to do things. Yeah. But um, I think uh, that international perspective gave uh, us uh, a very wide, open, I guess, view on, you know, you know, getting to know people firsthand from different places and, you know, traveling. We also travel and played in different places. That was extremely enriching. Yeah, yeah. I, I I guess yeah. one thing that I want to ask you, um, because, you know, I'm thinking of the different changes, uh, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, like I have to ask this thing about the gender issue, you know, like kind of we, we came from a scene that it was very male dominated and we were fascinated also by a kind of sense of transgression, uh, that it was also probably also very male, and I guess um, the uh, you know the landscape uh, and certainly the cultural landscape has changed uh, dramatically, and uh, and I uh, you know I guess we are doing quite a lot of reflection on what is it that we were doing and you know like what we were representing, and even though perhaps we had a kind of critical perspective at the time. From the perspective of today, we probably were representing some things that uh, people might find uh, some people might find problematic, and uh, and I'm finding, you know, quite often uh, this whole thing with the noise and it came into the you know into the podcast already this kind of uh, maybe problematic elements of noise and also the kind of ambivalent politics. That when now yeah. things are much more, it's like, I guess, yeah, like an open wound, you know, where, you know, things are very uh, hard and people are, you know, there's a lot of resentment, uh, but also maybe also, you know, uh, resentment, but also, uh, I guess, suffering and, and people are defensive, just, or protective. And I think this, um, it's quite a very it's a different. Yeah, the, 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 the landscape has changed so much. And uh, and I, got, I wonder from the perspective of today what our practices meant, because I think they mean something very different. And to different people, it means different things. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you any of yeah, both of you had some comments about this.
1: Yeah, I think my (coughs) one of my last gigs was with Cindy Talk headlining Tectonics, and I'm really very very happy to have met Cindy because we're really really on the same page politics wise, and. that well, we really had the best conversations and we had such wonderful uh, times making music. Sadly, we didn't record, but um, uh, the you know, yeah, but my like some things I took from the things me and you were doing, Martin, and that it sort of fitted. It still worked okay in in Cindy Talk. It became, yeah, I think I probably increased. My, I always had like a queer kind of camp kind of vibe to uh, the stuff we were doing, not entirely, you know, but there's plenty of that in there. And, uh, that's, uh, that would probably go even stronger now with, uh, if I did something new. Um, but yeah, I mean, what an, you've really, uh, I just thought like, what the fuck kind of record would I make now or what kind of gig would I do? Would I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, Maybe it would just <laughs> fuck. It's a big question. No, I mean you've really. I, I can't really. It's fucked my head a bit. Like I'm. This is a very very uh, interesting area now. Yeah, yeah. From what you're saying.
2: Because we're thinking of but making I think a, even if, a record. Fuck, yeah. Go on. No, that I was thinking that even though when when you were doing improv uh, much earlier than when when I started. It was already a, a male-dominated scene. Uh, but I don't think what you passed on nowadays I don't see it anymore. Actually in the crossfade with other experimental forms of music and underground music, I think that there is a very positive reading of this transformation. Maybe yes, it was a super male-dominated scene, but they—I mean—I don't see a sort of masculinity issue that created a. a I mean, I, we can point out uh, like different problems with the with, with very uh, well-defined genres like noise, etc., but in general. the the, the methodologies and the attitude of uh, experimental music and the the way in which you were dealing with precisely uncertainty, etc. And now it seems that different communities like uh, different gender identities are part of uh, this so-called milieu of, I don't know, myriad of yeah. forms of understanding improv without a lot of uh still uh, well i mean still i'm pretty sure we have problems but it's not the worst case scenario that i can imagine from different disciplines i don't know maybe machine or you disagree but
0: no i think i think maybe you're right in the sense that by you know kind of dealing with our own objection and our own kind of uh, I guess it was like exposing our subjectivity, like putting out on the stage, playing with it like this, you know, is it real performance? Is it not? Is it the persona? Is it like kind of trying to bring out those kind of problematic experiences and perform it, but play them, you know? Uh, Yeah. Like what you mentioned about camp, I guess that made it for a less stable representation of what you are. So it's like, you know, it's like improvising with your own Subjectivity, and I think maybe that makes it a much more open and destabilizing, a kind of more fragile, kind of a space where, you know, things are, for, you know, up for grabs and you know being questioned. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh I, this is—it's incredible we pulled that tour off because I think it's 24 dates because that we every gig we did was like 100 or 1%, and it was kind of like all or nothing. It wasn't like a manicured, rehearsed. Presentation. It was very, very dangerous. I think psychologically for oneself, like almost, kind of like having a fucking nervous breakdown on in public, kind of thing. But mixed with these extremely uh, manicured little tricks and stuff. But like, and and but fucking that up as well, undermining and uh, yeah. um, And I think it actually brought some good into the world. You know, I mean someone some young queer anarchist person emailed me recently with this just absolutely wonderful email about uh what the album luxury and uh and they really uh i really feel good that we we didn't like make the world a fucking more macho place or more ugly place. we brought some fucking it was worth losing a bit of my own uh putting myself in danger you know um and uh, yeah, like something, re- it was, we, we brought some some good things into the world, I think, you know? Yeah.
0: Another question, just like maybe to start to uh, wrap up, uh, is uh, I wanted to simply get to know your opinion on social media. Because that's another change that it has been happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, the crisis has been something that it, it came, you know, like uh, them, the rise of far right popul- and populism. Yeah, yeah. But I guess another big change that occurred well, we from when we started to now is the rise of social media. I remember you. I, I mean, I don't have Facebook, but I remember you telling me the evil as uh, telling me about the evil aspects of Facebook very very early oh,
1: on this yeah. uh, fe- is block yeah like um i th- say so, like the the internet can give us and the internet can take away awayeth you know it can it can really give and it can really fucking take you know i think you were the first person i ever met with a website actually <laughs> met Matin at matin.org you know inspired by jamie.com i think <laughs> yeah we forgot to mention jamie man what a character um but uh yeah, a lot of good has come from it because it helped me meet. The best thing that ever came through Facebook, I think, for me, oh, I hate to even say that, was meeting Stuart. Meeting Stuart. We were, built our friendship up through uh, through social media, you know, and then I started to meet him in person. And then we even did who that. Meeting who? Stuart at home. Stuart home. I don't know. And then we did the gig at your residency at Otto, me stuart and mark ariel waller you know which i think was it was minute. i i used to, i said it's the farewell gig and uh, yet another farewell gig you know this has to be my last gig ever you know and because uh, you know um and i just didn't want to do it and then we, we managed it was meant to be a solo but i uh managed to bring in stuart and mark to do most of the the work and then I even dragged you out the audience and we did that always look on the bright side of life <laughs> you know <laughs> um, anyway but um yeah I, I mean with uh lockdown especially like i I've been on the fucking instant grim a lot and but some good came from that because I kind of treat it like a notebook a bit and uh, um uh, you know, it helped me re-engage with some people from the graffiti world, like Score, who I haven't talked to since 1987. Um And then he's done an interview with me and put out this fucking incredible graffiti book. Um, and he's a fucking great guy. I mean, this has been cool to be like re- that, re-engaging with hip-hop community more because I started li- listening a hell of a lot to Paris, Gorilla Funk, and Public Enemy. There's things... Because I kind of threw all that stuff away a bit in, what, probably 89 or something, you know, Public Enemy, and I'd seen them. and uh, But then it started to blend. And someone like Paris, his, uh, his politics are fucking fantastic. And and Public Enemy are still really fucking great. And then I'm finding people through the social media, like like I said, Squaw, Drax, Dexter, uh Dexter, I've actually been friends on and off with since '83, you know. But um, and I'm like, thank fuck. Look at these people's politics; it's actually fucking great, you know. They really uh, like scored a project for the campaign against living miserably. Um, A graffiti, a calendar of from dead graffiti artists. Two of my friends are in that calendar: Fun and Riff. And uh, I'm like, fuck, you know. Um, I kind of underestimated. Where some of my friends had gone to, you know, and they, then I'm having very nice surprises discovering them through the internet that their uh, fucking politics are awesome, you know. So, uh, but I also very, very much regret, really, I put in like billions of fucking videos and photos and writing onto some shit like Facebook. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't I put that stuff on a website, you know, even on Flickr? So it's public access. You know, I fucking... What was I thinking? You know, I got really... Started. You know, and then if you think how um, Twitter and Facebook um, were massively empowering to far-right nutcases, you know, uh, I mean, what the fuck? How can uh, Zuckerberg apparently is Jewish? yet um, Facebook has been an incredibly powerful platform for anti-Semitism. I mean, the guy must be fucking Satan or something. I'm like fuck and they uh, yeah they really had a really good run I mean uh, there's I think there's you know Twitter recently has deleted something like Googleplex amount of fucking far right uh, accounts but um I just can't fucking believe what was happening on those sites So my friend she's dead now and she got like hardcore death threats through Twitter nothing was happening to the perpetrators. You know they they enabled like epic amounts of really fucking evil shit and uh i was listening to adam curtis the other day on a very good uh podcast and he's like talking about trying to trying to get the uh internet back we would take take it back because uh, the crisis led to fucking facebook and google just becoming uber powerful and uh hopefully we can we can somehow take the internet back you know um I think I was very fucking naive with the internet. Martin, you're always on my case to use open source, you, you know, like not get sucked into this shit, like my space and the fucking, but you know, I did, I got very involved with it and I have very mixed feelings about it. I think mostly quite fucking bad. Yeah. Like about that shit. Hey ho, you know, live and learn, huh?